Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com, helping you filter through the noise. Real talk. Black talk. The Internet is full of half-truths and all-out lies. We've all seen them, and many people on social media complaining about it. Here's your chance to show and prove. WorldAfropedia.com is a black-owned and operated encyclopedia. There are several thousand articles, but we need help. We can't uncover all the truth ourselves. So please, join us and become a writer, editor, or blogger for WorldAfropedia.com today. Every little bit counts. We owe it to the future generations to put the truth out there. Visit WorldAfropedia.com, the African-centered encyclopedia, a global database of African knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global African wisdom and understanding. WorldAfropedia.com. Racism, white supremacy on the job. I think every non-white person uh, in the known universe can relate to having difficulties with racism on their job. Uh, when I spoke with you earlier this summer, uh, it was real simple, not anything major, but you just talked about the importance on your job. A lot of times people get in trouble for being late. Uh, they end up moving, and then it's more difficult to get to the job. Can you just share some of that information about proximity with regards to your house and where you work at? Well, just that's just one factor. And when you have a job, you have to think of everything that will help you to uh, be on that job and to be efficient enough on the job to hold the job, if it's at all possible that you can. You have to make that a priority. Otherwise, you'll just keep going from job to job. And in this day and time, that's basically what the white supremacists want non-white people to do anyway, just run themselves ragged going from job to job, you know, spending a lot of time trying to get a job, looking for a job, applying for it, making out all kind of resumes and whatnot, then get on the job and stay there six months and then gone and start to cycle all over again. Uh, this is almost a part of the white supremacist plan because when you keep forcing people to move, and naturally if you move from one place to another, sometimes you even have to change not only it's not just a job change, but you have to think about proximity to your job. The last job that you had may not be anywhere close to the next job that you're going to get as far as your place of residence is concerned. Now, a lot of people don't think about that. They'll just think about getting a job, and then they'll start thinking about, well, how am I going to get to work when it snows? Because even that has, is a big factor person, you know, got the job in the summer, but 
but the person wasn't thinking about, now, wait a minute, it's pretty easy for me to get to work in the summer, but when the snow is coming down, I mean, you start getting those all of those in-depth inches of snow, can I get to the job? Now, people who want to hire you just temporarily forever, they have that in mind. Once they see your address and they say, they're not going to make it to work, you know, they're not going to build up any seniority here. They're going to do a lot of work, and by the time I get this next project finished, I'm going to be in an excellent position to fire them because they are actually just going to keep coming in. I'll tell them that I'll do the best I can to help them, but I know they're not going to be able to make it here come January when it starts snowing, and it, snow, it snows in this area every January. So I know when they come in, dragging in, I mean two hours late, I'm going to have to tell them that the senior foreman says we got to let you go because you got to be here on time. You certainly can't keep coming in two hours late, and you've been in two hours late several times this month. Sometimes you've just called in and didn't come in at all. Everybody else is here. That's not uh, the correct thing to do in regards to even your coworkers because then they have to help carry the load. Sorry about that. Maybe you can get a job where you live or wherever, but you can't work here anymore. That's what you call thinking ahead. But see, when you're desperate, you don't have time to think about all that. But these are factors that must be considered. And it's going to get worse before it gets better. Everybody out here who's looking for a job, it's going to get worse before it gets better. I've told people for years, um, uh, people who had jobs back in the days when I had a job, I wasn't even getting nowhere near the money I'd like to make. But I began to see that you keep switching around too much. Now, it works for some people, but sometimes you get in that valley and can't get out where you're between jobs. And a lot of people out here grabbing jobs, and they grab the jobs that are available, and there are no more jobs available for uh, long periods of time. And a person sometimes can be out of work so long that everything becomes unraveled, particularly people who are buying houses and whatnot. When they were riding high, they made the down payment on the house and they were able to make the payments and all like that. And then there's sickness in the family, something they didn't foresee. And then uh, they start calling in sick because somebody else is sick, and all these factors start creeping in. Next thing you know, 30 years down the road, you're starting all over again. So sometimes when you just latch on to a job, other things might come flying by that look like they might be good deals. But you got to think about, where am I going to be 15 years from now? Maybe I'll think about that. How is all of this going to play out 15 years from now, 15 years, 20 years down the road? I don't want to be desperate. I don't want to be out of breath all the time, grasping for straws. So in that particular area of activity, the activity of labor under the system of racism, it might be constructive to think along those lines, meaning Think way down the road. How are things going to be later? Just going back to uh, what she touched on with regards to jobs, 
Um, I think you shared that you you worked for many, many years. And just because of proximity, you were never late. Is that correct, Mr. Fuller? Never late. I was 32 well, years on a job. I was never late. <laughs> the reason wow. why is because there might have been other jobs I could shop around for and all like that. And uh, as far as the housing is concerned, there were there were houses that were much better that I could enjoy, I mean, in, at a greater distance. But I got to thinking about that distance. But I didn't think about it really. I mean, you know, I'm not the greatest thinker in the world. But somebody called it to my attention. They say, oh, yeah, that's a nice place where you'll be staying while you're there. But if you get up to go on a job from there, you got a real problem because that place is isolated. And you, there's no bus service. There's nothing in an emergency. If your car is not running or if you don't have a car and all like that, you better seriously think about that. Just don't think about the nice place where you'll be staying and that nice job that you got. There's more to it than that. Things happen that can destroy all of that. So you have to sit down with a pen and paper. That's the best way to do it. And enumerate all of the factors and what job you have, what your possibilities for, quote, unquote, getting ahead on the job, how easy it's going to be to get to the job under any circumstance, uh, how long you will have the job, all of these things. Just make a list of all the things you'll be looking for for a very long time. Because most people, now some people can change, you know, jobs uh, for a lifetime, you know, uh, every month, and it doesn't even bother them. But that doesn't apply to the average person. The average person likes a, a degree of certainty, something they can count on, a degree of stability. The average person likes that. You know, the average person doesn't like to go job hunting every two or three months. I mean, some people consider that an adventure, but very few people think like that. Very few people can withstand that. They want to get somewhere where they can make a plan. Even the uh, people who don't like to make plans, they like to make that kind of plan because to not have some type of idea about certainty, about what your future is going to be like, your health care, all of this, uh, and just a simple thing like what we started with, getting to and from a job. That can wear you out over a period of years, even with the best of jobs. If you don't calculate that into the factor, what if the car breaks down? What if the bus stops running? Now, sometimes you think about, well, I got a couple of phone numbers I can call of people who I, I know I can depend on, I mean, who can run by here and pick me up in an emergency. So you think of all these factors. Write that down on a piece of paper. I mean, Aunt Jenny, I mean, you know, she's gets out and does her, Christmas, uh, her grocery shopping and all like that, and she gets up early, so if I call her, then she'll come by and pick me up. She can get here in five minutes, ten minutes, or whatever it is. You've got to figure that, too, how long it'll take Aunt Jenny to get to you with her bad driving and uh, get you to work in an emergency. And emergencies will happen. But just one or two emergencies can sometimes sink your boat. Because these supremacists in these tight times, and the times are going to get tight, I do believe, 
I don't have a crystal ball, but I do believe they're going to get that way. I don't see any indications where they can, all this burden that's on people is going to lift anytime soon. So you have to think about these things, or should think about these things, in a compensatory fashion. Compensatory meaning making up for what's missing. Context of white supremacy. Gusty Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Thursday, July 7th, 2016. So I have been told. Shout out to Aunt Jenny. Workplace racism. Form weekly, every Thursday, this time, uh, for folks to share problems, codification, observations, suggestions for things non-white people, victims of white supremacy can do uh, to minimize problems on the job, uh, keep things uh, from getting really, really bad for you, uh, write-ups, anything like that, getting terminated, uh, just minimize any type of conflict issues uh, that are work-related, trouble with non-white co-workers, trouble with white co-workers, uh, forum that we discuss these issues uh, and hopefully try to get some clarity to help people uh, minimize any difficulties uh, in the area of activity known as labor. Uh, the number to dial is 641-715-3640. The code is 564-943-POUND. Press star six if you would like to participate. Number again, 641-715-3640. The code is 564-943-POUND. Press star 6 if you would like to participate. Once you do so, you will hear the audio prompt to press the number 1. Once you do that, I will see your hand on the screen and we can get you on the line. Again, it is star six, then press the number one, we'll get you on the line. I will remind listeners, uh, this is not a spectator broadcast. Counter-racism in general is not a spectator activity and certainly this here forum is not designed for people to just relax, put their feet up, get their popcorn and Listen, uh, this is something where we all, as I repeat all the time, Dr. Frances Cress Welsing, uh, she said it on a regular basis. Uh, it is just not going to be very possible, very likely that you can get 10 black people together, five black people together, three black people together and not have all of them. I have issues with racism on the job where they're not being compensated correctly. They're being mistreated uh, in some type of way. They're having to deal with some sort of uh, tacky racist antics uh, on the job. This is standard. Uh, this is stale. This is a daily occurrence for black people worldwide. Uh, and I think it's really important to be talking about these issues, uh, trying to figure out using compensatory counter-racist logic. The best way to minimize these problems uh, and try to have uh, our workplace situation be a bit more stable uh, under the system of racism, white supremacy. So certainly encourage folks to dial in, share, even if you are not experiencing problems 
on this day or this week, uh, you still should have observations about things that are happening on the job. That's one of the things I encourage all the time. Be taking notes, be observant. I will again encourage, recommend, check your policy and procedure manual. Go through it. You don't want to wait until you have a problem, until you're facing a write-up or some disciplinary action. Go ahead and go through that policy and procedure manual so you know what the rules and regulations are in your workplace. I'll state again, you don't have to read the whole thing in one setting. I know sometimes these uh, manuals can be kind of thick, which that right there is an indication of racism, white supremacy, where they sometimes will make things very wordy and very long uh, to explain things. But you can divide it up. You can, you know, when you first start a job, you can take uh, each day, set aside 15 minutes, 20 minutes while you are at your residence in your leisure and just go through, read, highlight, uh, make note of things that are important. If there are policies that are not clear, uh, if there are policies that you see that you already have observed are not being consistently uniformly enforced uh, amongst all the employees. Just make a note of that sort of thing. You can take a week, two weeks, whatever you need to kind of go through and read it. Then as things come up, you will already have in mind the policy that you read. And then you can just go back and reference as you need to things that stand out uh, about issues that you're seeing on the job. But certainly, as I've encouraged, share. That's one thing that you can do in terms of participation. If there are things in your policy and procedure manual that are important, significant for whatever reason, dial in and share, because that's something that I definitely uh, want to get listeners in a habit of doing. Uh, know your policy and procedure well. That can kind of help you on the job uh, minimize being attacked. Uh, and then frequently, one of the ways that they'll practice racism is that they will deviate from their own stated policies in terms of how they are supposed to treat employees when they are ready to practice white supremacy against a non-white worker employee. That's it. We have a, a few folks who wrote in. Uh, you can do that as well. If you know you're not able to participate live, you can email in your commentary. Certainly we can keep things anonymous if that would be your preference. Um, but you can email untiljustice at gmail.com and I will share. We've done that for a while now. We have, uh, I think, about three that I'll share, and then we'll get to the phone lines. Uh, before we do that, again, invest if you think the program is constructive. Racism-notes.blogspot.com. Racism-notes.blogspot.com. Listener-supported counter racist radio paypal button is in the top right corner if you're not into paypal drop us an email we will get you a physical mailing address uh, again massive thanks to all the folks who have invested and that's uh, getting us books things from the wish list uh, just making sure that the cows has been able to remain on the air seven plus years i uh, hope the program has been continues to be worthy of your time and energy. That's it. As I stated, uh, we had several folks who wrote in. Last week, we had a black female uh, doctor. She wrote in about some of the uh, white supremacy that she was experiencing on her job where uh, whites were assigning her to be uh, driving Miss Daisy, basically, to do transportation uh, to pick up different chemicals and what have you that they needed for the job when she has extensive years of training uh, as a healthcare care practitioner. Uh, this is way above her expertise 
way above her pay grade and she has been uh, relegated to the chauffeur, basically. Uh, she talked about other uh, white people being in positions where they did not have the same level uh, of expertise, the same level of training, but they still got these uh, cushy jobs and what have you, where you just clearly see that they are not being treated the same way that a non-white person, particularly a black person, would be treated on the job. Uh, when I shared some of this, some of the callers last week, they said uh, if she's a doctor, it would seem that it would be easy for her to get another job. If she doesn't want to put up with that, it shouldn't be uh, as challenging for her to find uh, a better employment situation if, you know, the one that she's in is really nerve wracking. Uh, so she wrote back in to respond. She said, uh, thanks for sharing uh, my field notes and for the feedback. It's not easy to find a job as a black person, especially one where you manage to tolerate the work itself and the people you have to work with not to mention the family implications of moving. Challenging jobs, <clears throat> uh, changing jobs is very stressful, so it's not something I will do without careful consideration of whether there really is a better option out there, as you have pointed out, and I am realizing there is no safe place from racism. Underline, boldface print the latter portion of that sentence. There is no safe place from racism. Very important. I was very glad that she shared that because I know uh, we heard from Mr. Fuller at the beginning of the program. ProduceJustice.com. ProduceJustice.com. If you need a code book, word guide, etc. Uh, where he states all the time uh, that pretty much verbatim is his uh, counter racist suggestion that we should not be thinking that, oh, the, you know, whites on this job are getting on my nerves and they're being racist and doing this and doing that. I'm going to get another job that uh, we should probably not be in that way of thinking about employment, because regardless of where you are employed, the racism will be there. There is no nirvana workplace situation. Uh, where whites are not going to be practicing racism in some way, shape or form, impacting you directly, indirectly on the job. Uh, and he said, you know, counter racist uh, becoming codified in terms of how you function on the job is not about. <clears throat> I recognize that they're being racist. so I'm not going to work here anymore. It's figuring out what to do so that it is not causing problems for you. What to say, what not to say, what to do what not to do so that to the best of your ability, you can neutralize the racist activity as best you can in your work environment. That's what counter racist codification is about not leaving the job because invariably leaving one job is just switching plantations. That is about the size of it worldwide under the system of white supremacy uh, and racists can even make that difficult for you. If you do enough changing of plantations, Moving forward, uh, next person that wrote in. Uh, I discuss racism, white supremacy with my family daily. Outstanding. A pluses all the way around. Uh, and we attempt to show our offspring racism, white supremacy when we can point it out. A pluses again. My 10 year old daughter and I discuss this scenario that happens at her school. Uh, she's typing the, ser uh, the scenario. See below. OK, so daughter is writing in. Uh, I am a 10 year old black girl who is a teacher helper at school. A 10 year old white girl at my school also helps with preschool. 
I've noticed that whenever she helps and plays with the preschool children and a black child takes a toy from her, she will immediately command him or her to give it back. But if a white child from preschool did the same thing, she will tell him or her it's okay to have the toy because it's nice to share. Wow. Fascinating on many levels. Number one, as I've stated before, uh, we've had people uh, get right huffy and arrogant. You know, this is nonsense. The cows is nonsense. You uh, at the time had a 10 year old uh, co-host. Justice is way, way older than that now. But at the time, way back when, uh, when she was 10 uh, and or we've had other uh, non-white children uh, call in, participate uh, in the program. Uh, and people have said, oh, my gosh, this Gus guy is a clown. This is the most ridiculous thing in the world. Whites and victims of white supremacy have taken that stance and saying that that is ridiculous. This is a serious subject matter, and I am not going to participate in some clown show uh, where you have children participating. I will only say again emphatically, you are in dereliction of your duty as an attempted parent if you're not talking with your offspring about white supremacy, racism. It is already happening to them. If you are non-white, racism, white supremacy is being practiced from you from the time of conception. I can't even say to the grave because as we've read in Medical Apartheid, it continues afterwards. Talk to your children about racism. I guarantee they're already seeing things. If they're going to school and they're around little white children and what have you, they're already seeing it. This is another illustration as well. There's so many things just right there. Uh, white children, white adults, doesn't matter. They're not ignorant about racism. It sounds like this little 10-year-old white urchin, she already understands her role as a white female on the plantation and how she is supposed to function. Uh, I think this is great. I'm including this in workplace racism just because I say school and work is pretty much the same thing. I've uh, had many, many folks uh, tell me when I was a student uh, that uh, school is your job. That's what you do. So it's kind of the same thing. But just that right there, the importance of observing. Same thing that you should be doing on the job, observing uh, what whites are doing, how they function around white people, how they function around non-white people, uh, and just being constantly vigilant because you're going to be seeing things that sometimes are directly uh, expressions of white supremacy. Sometimes it'll just be constructive information, but just that incident right there explains a lot. And that's another way where you can just talk to your child uh, about in terms of how whites function, that they're not ignorant, that you're going to see this sort of thing all the time where black people are criminalized uh, for things that they do, where white people, hey, no big deal. This is great. This is wonderful. And, you know, we just move along with our day in a wonderful fashion, having a harmonious time with black people. It is the total opposite and just uh, encouraging them to pay attention because they're going to see that sort of pattern frequently for the duration of their lives as long as racism, white supremacy exists. But that is extraordinary. One of the best things that I've read all day, uh, parents talking to their children about racism and then getting the children so that they are also paying attention, being observant to things that are happening around them in school and other environments where they, too, are noticing the difference in how black people are treated by racists, even little racist children. Next report. Uh, I would like to say thank you, Gus. Thanks to all the callers who 
said having on these hmm I would like to say thank you Gus and thanks to all the callers who said having on these Marcus Garvey t-shirts would create more problems thanks for asking me what am I looking to solve on the playback I sound foolish VGQ but nevertheless still learning amen me too I have thought after these last shootings, what if a race soldier saw me after work, 11 p.m., coming from a convenience store with said shirt on, Marcus Garvey or some other, I guess what they would call, quote unquote, radical shirt expressing some articulation of racism, white supremacy. Um, So if one of his coworkers, white coworkers, what if they saw him with this shirt on? Would I be a name in the papers? Question mark. You guys saved my life. Yesterday, I observed two white guys slapping and punching each other on the crotch area and grabbing butts. I saw this later with two different white males hours later. Coming from the restroom, I saw these pictures. I can't tell if the nude guy is a non-white person because of how it is printed. I saw this sticker later on a toolbox. As the firefighter said, I don't need to display who I am They will know it. And they have seen a change in my behavior in the last two years of following the cows and hidden colors. Thanks again. And the photograph that he includes from the workplace uh, environment uh, has a photograph of a white person. Let's see. It's got a white person with a New Jersey uh, Devils hockey jersey on. And it says, Go Devils. Uh, and if people have seen the New Jersey hockey team logo, it's got the NJ and it's got the devil's horns on the J and it's in red. So it looks uh, very much uh, in in the uh, satanic demonic realm. But they're a very popular uh, hockey team. I think they've won a few uh, NHL championships. Uh, there's another one that's got an image of the Confederate flag. Uh, it looks like people are using. Uh, using this as some sort of uh, coffee mug holder, perhaps, or it's holding some different items in the workstation. Maybe these are not coffee mugs, but I, I can visibly clearly see the Confederate flag that they've got uh, emblazoned uh, on a particular item. And then uh, they've got another image uh, as well. Again, I'm not sure if this is a white person or a non-white person myself, but this sort of thing is very, very common. There have been lots and lots and lots of non-white people uh, who listen to this program and the workplace racism segment specifically and have shared different images from their workplace over the years of different tacky and trifling things that white people have up in their work areas, things comparing black people uh, to monkeys and uh, having people being lashed and, and whipped Uh, Like they are an enslaved black person on a plantation, having all sorts of these little items up on display uh, in their work area. This is common, common behavior Uh, should not be anything to get uh, surprised about or what have you. Some people have made a made an effort to get some of these images removed. Some people have just said, hey, I'd rather have it up as a reminder. But that's the sort of thing. Just being vigilant about the work. Uh, station that you're in and just going back because this person I think called in maybe two or three weeks ago and was talking about wearing provocative t-shirts uh, even if you want to think like the cows t-shirt which I would not recommend anybody wear to the job that says please uh, respect me like I am a white person uh, same advice that I told this person when they called in what problem are we trying to solve uh, that a lot of times black people do things that are not designed to solve any problem specifically it's more of a expression about what we think or how we feel uh, or our frustrations. 
about being victimized, but it's not really geared towards solving any problems. And a lot of times it's just designed. It will attract attention to us. It's been my experience. You do not want any unnecessary attention from racists. Uh, They are probably already lining up ways to give you all types of unwanted attention. Just stay tuned and they will be focused on you in no time. Believe me. That will uh, do our notes and we will hit the callers Uh, again. uh, The number to dial is 641-715-3640. The code is 564-943-POUND. Press star six if you would like to participate. Uh, We had a person who wrote a workplace experience and since we went live, I will intersperse that as we proceed. Uh, Everyone who dialed in with a hand up should be with us. Uh, Feel free to participate. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Oh, man. Good evening, Doug. How ironic that the the devil is playing north of all places. I mean, they have police escort and their fans to the arena and everything. Uh, (laughs) All paid for by the black people. Um, I have, uh, I told you last week that I was, um, training because this, um, reception issue is going on vacation. And, uh, I've noticed the trend, um, and I suspect racism because in all the time I sat there and trained with her, everyone would, um, you know, use their ID into the, the office, you know, but now it's me there. Everyone wants to knock on the door for me to get up and push a button to let them in the office. And I'm like, I'm just noticing this trend. And um, all things, another trend I've noticed is they, they all want to borrow my temporary ID um, to run downstairs real quick. They never ask her to borrow her ID to go and do these um, little trips to the store and things. Um, so I just um, find it to be very, you know, suspicious. And I meet my wife, do they have policy and procedure about that, about barring other people's uh, ID to... I'm, I'm not privy to that information because I'm a temp. Oh. So I, I'm, not, I'm not under their policy and procedure. I have my own company's policy and procedures um, that I have to follow. I see. That would be interesting. I know, I know you said you had, uh, it seemed like there was another uh, employee, a black male employee, I think, who was kind of helping you uh, compensate for the poor training, deliberately poor training. It seems that this uh, white woman, uh, likely race soldier, has been providing you, misinforming you. Uh, maybe you could ask him if they have policy and procedure. I did. Oh, okay. I, I asked him. I asked him how come they only ask all these other people? Because you know, prior to me starting, he it took him away from his duties to do this um, cover for her, so he knows the job. So. He said, why did they do that? He said, they'll never do that to me. I'll sit there and let them stand there until they use their ID. But he's been here 20 years. You know, saying, I'm a temp. You know, I can't do that, you know. So uh, I just noticed the trend here. And it's not I can do about it. Mm. That's the sort of situation we will be in on a regular basis. And that's, that's why I said I think it's so great to know policy and procedure because you'll see that. I would seriously suspect uh, it's been my experience, any job where it's it's that serious in terms of security and who has access to the building or who has access to different parts of the building where you have to have some sort of ID that allows you entrance. 
Uh, if it's that serious that you generally are not supposed to be, you know, oh, hey, Sam, let me borrow your, your ID so I can go do. Oh, hey, let me borrow. You. I mean, that generally is the sort of thing that is not allowed or at minimum frowned upon if they do not have explicit policy stating that that's something that's not supposed to be done. But as you just said, and the guy who and the guy who does it the most is the head of HR. Blatant tackiness, I'm sure he knows better, and I'm sure he's probably just practicing racism. Again, whites do that sort of thing just to waste your time. It's been my experience. They do that sort of thing just to aggravate you and waste your time. You get distracted where you're supposed to be working on something else. Now I have to stop and get you my past. You can do this and the knocking on the door. They do that sort of thing just to waste your time, have you distracted. Uh, other folks have comments. Hello. Oh, yes, sir. We can hear you. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Hey, hey, Gus. Uh, so you lived in the Virginia, right? Yes, the Great Commonwealth. Yes, I did. Did you, were you, did you like ever go to PG County across the Woodrow Wilson Bridge? Hmm. Uh. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I said it's into Maryland. When you first like the 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 bridge that connects Maryland and the Virginia, the, the middle one. Uh, I didn't really spend too much time in that part of Virginia. Uh, no, I didn't really spend a whole lot of time at that part of Virginia. Okay, like Northern Virginia. I, I I live in I live in PG County, and like PG County is one of the richest. Earth- Where, where black people live at. And even though it's one of the richest areas where black people live at, they're still scared. Like, they, they, they're they still, not to say scared, but more reluctant to travel across that bridge to go into Virginia. You know? And I, I say that because I had a, a workplace uh, racism experience. But it was, I'm 37 now, but it was 20, I was about 22 when it happened. And I was a, a meter reader for Washington Gas. And the meter reader is the person who goes, you know, to houses and, and looks at the meter and puts it into like a little computer and, you know, then goes on to the next one. And, and that's how people got built, you know, back then. So I'm full uniform, badge on, it's maybe about February, it's cold outside, I have long johns under my uniform. And I'm reading the meter, I'm, I'm in, I'm, you know, I have like 200 meters to do a day in a white neighborhood. And I'm, I'm walking behind people's houses, getting, getting readings on, you know, on their, uh, on their gas meter. So I'm bent down reading the meter, and when I stand up and turn around, there's two police officers with guns drawn, and they tell me to lay down on the ground. So I lay down, and they they tell me, they say, I fit the description of someone who was breaking in houses in this neighborhood. So they put me in the back of their police car. They drive me around 
to about four different houses of people who were home and had, you know, had either called or might have had their houses broken in and asked the people, is this the guy who, who, who broke into your house? Is this the guy? Is this the guy you seen? And all four of them, they said no. And, you know, after that, I was able to go and finish the job that I had to do, you know, my my service to, to their establishment. But the whole time, I, I had what they gave me to work with. And even though I had that, it, did, it didn't matter to them. They, they didn't see any of that. And I'm 37. That was about 16 years ago. And I, I grew so much because of something like that in my life to know how to maneuver. It's not, my, my motto is if you're going to play the game, you got to play it to win, you know. You gotta. I had. I had my locks. I know you had locks, bro. You know. I'm sorry to call you, bro. I know you don't like that, but I know you had locks for like you know for some time because they was long. I had my locks for like ten years, and I had to cut them just you know to get the next promotion to to put more money in my pocket and you know to get where I need to be. But I I just wanted to share that. Wow. I'm uh, sad you had to experience that, although that is very, very, very common uh, in terms of black people being indicted and you look like this person, you know, who stole a French fry from the store. uh, And so, you know, we have to shackle you and parade you around. And, you know, I guess God forbid someone had said, yes, that is the Negro who broke into, you know, our residence or what have you. Uh, one thing that did stand out uh, right when you began sharing, uh, when you said, you know, when you turned around, I guess, and these enforcement officers were standing there and were like, get out on the ground. Uh, I for sure heard Mr. Fuller's words comply. Uh, thank goodness, because we are in no position to offer a whole lot of opposition and I'm not going to do it. And don't you see me in my uniform and blah, 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 because I'm that could have went way bad uh, with everything, not just of what we've seen this week, but for centuries under white terrorism that could have just been you know suspected burglar uh shot and killed today uh while he was trying to climb in residence uh police acted quickly and uh stopped prowler from continuing his string of uh theft here in the uh dmv area that is easily how that story could have been written up they would have got a promotion and that would have been that another crime solved moving forward so uh, unfortunately, I'm glad you complied uh, so that you, you know, things did not go worse than what they did. But I mean, that's the system of white supremacy. I think we've had other people who have jobs that are in that capacity where they have to go out and check meters or that sort of sort of thing where they might be on someone's property or have to go to residences and what have you. And they'll be in full uniform, company vehicle, the whole nine. And white people, you're still just another nigger and you know whatever we want to do if we choose to call the police on you or whatever we want to do however we choose to interact with you that's what we'll do you're just another nigger you are not accorded any respect or what have you as uh, a gainfully employed official out here just doing your job that's not how we treat you that's not what we think of you at all so 
uh, def- I definitely uh, appreciate uh, the sentiment. Again, just, you know, sad that you had to uh, experience that. Those sort of degradations, they kind of stick with you for years and years and years, just having to go through those sort of humiliations. Yeah. Folks had commentary they wanted to share based on what they've heard, uh, suggestions, or if you had your own incidents you wanted to share, feel free. Greetings. Can I be heard? Oh, good evening, uh, retired firefighter. <laughs> Greetings, everyone. Uh, yes, I, I uh, wanted to start off with a comment uh, to emphasize the beginning of the program. You had Mr. Fuller on, and he was talking about uh, tardiness. Uh, I concur. It is uh, very important in employment, even in quote-unquote self-employment, uh, because uh, even in self-employment, it, it, it shows to the customers uh, that the proprietor is dependable. And one thing customers appreciate is a dependable uh, worker. Uh, and uh, so maybe somebody who's self-employed figures, well, you know, I keep my own hours, whatever that means, you know, uh, but uh, I would say uh, you should have whatever hours you you do uh, have, they should be, for the most part, it should be something early because uh, people like to get things done as early as possible uh, as far as, you know, whatever your skills are. But be very dependable. If you said that you're going to be at their house at eight o'clock, you know, at eight fifty nine and fifty nine seconds, be knocking at their door. If you are some whatever you do is something of some sort of delivery, delivering to a person's house, or if or if you have uh, a, a facility of 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 your own, is to be there, be be there, and not having people waiting, waiting for you to get to your, your quote unquote self-employed, uh, uh, place, uh, within the workplace. Uh, I think I tried to maintain some good habits. Uh, for the most part, I learned it, learned it from my, uh, my mother who grew up in rural Georgia and she would get us up early in the morning. Perceivably, as a child, I, I thought for no reason, you know. But actually, what it was, it, it was forming habits. It was forming constructive habits uh, to be up early in the morning. A lot of constructive things happen early in the morning. Speaking of that, I I I, I called Mr. Fuller this morning and and, and shared that with him uh, it's, uh, because I what I've realized is elderly people. Uh, have a habit, especially elderly black people have a habit of being up early in the morning. Uh, so it's a good habit to have uh, uh, on 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 the job to because on the on the negative scale of that, it may not be on a, on on some jobs that it would directly uh, uh, terminate you. It may not be that, but it definitely would be a situation to whereas 
it'll be a compiling of negative references that they can use, your employer can use against you at a later date, appropriately that way. And it can, it can, it can go into worse things also. Uh, uh, they can make a case of suspecting, well, there's a reason why that person late. Maybe they have a quote unquote drug problem or something like that. Uh, I've, I've, I've seen, I've seen that in, in the place that, that I worked at, uh, uh, another, uh, motivation, uh, one of our, one of our, uh, uh, moderate, uh, individuals who, uh, who uh, attempted to uh, counter racism, white supremacy, Malcolm X. They said he was a stickler with time. As you can see, just about every picture you see him in, he had a watch. He would have a watch on. Ossie uh, uh, Davis and Ossie Davis would say that if he said he was coming to his house at eight o'clock, seven seven fifty nine, he would he would be knocking on the door. He would be early and riding and driving around the block until the time wear it down to whatever time he said he was going to be somewhere. And he always would remind a person if they wasn't, if they was tardy, uh, uh, around him. Uh, so it's always a good habit to have. I just want to, uh, uh, make one story. Uh, the true story that actually happened too. actually, the first one was there was a, it was a, I worked at a, a, a station that was, that was, on the other side of town from the headquarters and there were the job was in the process. They kind of fire department was in the process of hiring and uh, you would figure that the young people that they were hiring and some of them were non-white black people too. And yes, we, 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 we have been uh, uh, tagged as being notorious and we, we even joke with each other about that, about us being late to things. But anyway, uh, this was for the final job interview uh, of being a, uh, a firefighter. And what they, would, what they would do, they would send you a letter in the mail at least two weeks ahead of time telling you to report to this particular place at this particular time and they they wouldn't say too much anything else and actually what 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 one of the one of the uh one of the things that they're they're looking at is once again tardiness whether or not a person is a timely person or not you wouldn't believe that on the morning of that particular date of the num number of of potential employees will be knocking on our station door asking for directions to this place. Mind you now, they've had, they've had two weeks, two weeks to find, this is before GPS and it was handy for, for people, but you'd be, uh, you'd be surprised the number of people that have been knocking on the door saying, could you direct me to this particular place? And mind you now, they had two weeks to figure it out. Uh, one of my habits was, is I, I always made a practice the night before I had to go to work. Uh, I, I can't say this all the time in my, when I was younger, but even during that time, uh, a lot, I would 
try to get, try to go to bed early, you know, early meaning something like, you know, give myself maybe eight hours of sleep, you know, so I go to bed, you know, nine, 10 o'clock, something like that. So I'll be, you know, kind of like fresh when I get up in the morning and, and actually in the mind feel like going to work. Uh, because on that particular job, you know, you may, you may, you may get an emergency call the moment you, you, uh, pull up in the parking lot, you know, and you'd be running to the fire truck or the rescue truck. So you have to be mentally and physically prepared, uh, you know, at that particular point in time. Now there is, there was a stipulation that if you were running late, you were running late and you knew you were going to be late, you can call and ask the person that you were replacing to hold for you, you know, X amount of time, but be careful to don't make a habit of that, you know, because, you know, the person would kind of like be suspecting, you know, Hey, you know, I mean, you like using it, using your, your, uh, using the courtesy thing up. But the last but not least, uh, this was a, uh, a very bad precedent. Uh, chief Phillips could, could tell you, uh, it was before his reign as the, uh, the, uh, chief of the fire department, two black males, both of them were chiefs. And, uh, as you know, down here in South Florida, uh, we are quite, uh, uh, frequent with hurricanes. Matter of fact, it's hurricane season right now. Uh, but anyway, there's a, there's a, in the rules and regulation, there's a procedure that all personnel must have knowledge of and understanding of uh, during the hurricane season, especially if there's like a hurricane warning. I forgot what it is, you know, because I don't have to really pay attention to it now. But uh, it was a certain type of situation you, you should be doing, doing a hurricane warning or whatever the signs it is. And these two uh, non-white black male individuals, according to the, uh, the administration, did not follow the procedure and did not get on duty at the prescribed time. And one of them, I think they got their pay docked in some kind of way, but the other one was actually was demoted and put back out in the field. He was actually appointed as a chief. And so there, you know, being that, being that you didn't get it, you didn't get, get that position from taking a test, then they could easily just do whatever they wanted with you. So they demoted him and put him back out in the field for it. So it is something to, you know, form good habits about, you know, as far as, you know, tardiness and also uh, uh, a uh, negative amount of absentees from, from your employment. That's all I have right now. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mr. Fuller, uh, what I thought was fast, I had to go back to listen to it again, but he uh, said he was not late in 32 years on the job, was never late. That is uh, rather astounding uh, and sounds like something I could see Mr. Fuller being into. But he, he did explain it with even within that, that a part of that was the context of understanding proximity to his job and then making an effort uh, in terms of how far he was from the job and keeping that in consideration uh, when opportunities came up to relocate and to get a residence in a different area that might change how far he was 
from his job, how long it would take him to get to the job. I think he lives in an area of the world where they do have snow uh, and bad weather in the wintertime, so that can impact how long it takes you to get back and forth from the job. All of that is real important to think about in terms of your workplace situation. And uh, those are the type of things that I don't recall a lot of folks talking about sharing. I'm talking about black people. I don't recall people talking about or sharing uh, when I was beginning my work career and that sort of thing that can end up being very helpful information uh, and can cause you a lot of problems. Uh, Any of those, if you are not punctual or have difficulties getting to work, your commute situation, all of that can end up being major, major issues, major problems, uh, can and does end up being major issues and problems for uh, black employees, black workers. Uh, other folks that are with us who have a hand up that we have not heard from, if you had commentary, feel free. Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Um, yeah, I just want to say when uh, well, I used to work in the dietary department at the hospital, and we had a grace period of seven minutes um, coming and going, and I didn't get along with most of my coworkers, so I, um, I used to always uh, clock in and out late so I wouldn't have to run into them. And... Uh, I remember asking my supervisor, nobody ever, my supervisor never said anything to me about it before. So I asked her one time, I said, am I, am I going to get docked for being late? She said, oh, no. She said, you didn't, you didn't know anything about the grace period? She said, you're always on time. And I'm like, oh, great, thanks. And uh, I, I used to work at another place uh, um, where I had, where I had, a work, had a walk, like, for two hours and, to work, and I live in Kansas, and we have really bad weather in the wintertime sometimes, and, and I used to have to always start out early, and I, I was never late, but 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 my saving grace was we did have a lot of layoffs on that job, so that kind of saved me. I didn't have to, uh, I mean, we, we would have long stretches of weeks or maybe a few months where we, where there was no work to be done, so they, they didn't have us there, but the time when, we, when I was supposed to be working, I was always on time, but a lot of people... To live, I know this one lady. She lived right across the street, and she was always late. Um, there was nothing I want to say about about it, about people that miss a lot of days and everything. I remember my, my ex-husband; he was like that. He would he would always. I mean, he, I mean, changing jobs and jobs. When I heard Mr. Fuller at the beginning, he was talking about that, and my ex-husband was like that. He would he would he would change about ten or fifteen jobs in 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 a year, and. Um, that's, and the fact that was the reason why he ended up leaving the state because he had worked just about every place in 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 the city. But um, if he didn't get along with his boss or whatever, he saw that reason to quit. And he was and he missed a lot of days of work and he felt like that that was his sick pay, so he should be allowed to get away with that. And I remember in particular there was this one job he had where he was the only black male in that job, and it was. All white female. I mean, all white males except for one white female. And the one white female, she was married, but she was carrying on a sexual relationship with all the white males in the uh, place. And my ex would come home every day and talk about how much he hated her. He hated her. And I'm like, well, why do you hate her? What did she do to you? He said, oh, she just thinks she's all that and she's no good and she's always cheating on her husband. And I heard she's got a really good husband. And I was, and, I'm, and I'm like, what is so? What does that got to do with you? And then it would cause an argument. So. I would just let it go. But he would always talk about how much he hated her. And it wasn't until years later after we had been divorced and found out that this white female was having, she would have sex with all the white females, but he was the only one that she would not let have, let have sex with. 
uh, she 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 wouldn't have sex with him, and so that's the only reason I can see uh, because he he cheated on me the whole time we were married. I didn't know at the time, and they were always with with white females. And my daughter, when she started working at sixteen, both my kids started working when they were sixteen. She was the same way. She would just change jobs and jobs and jobs and jobs because she didn't get along with certain people. And I said, I, t- I would tell her, I said, you know, you're going to always meet the same kind of people. They'll have different names and different faces, but they're going to always be the same kind of people. And she would say, yeah, I know, but she would still do that. And even now, she still does that. But the longest she's had a job, I think, was for three years, and I was real proud of her. She was doing real well. And then she fell out with uh, one of her one of the nurses at the place she works, and she left, and now she's at someplace new. And... um you know, I and mean, my son's the complete opposite. He's been working. He's he's been working at one job since he was 16 um, for almost almost 30 years, almost 25 years or something like that. And he's a real good worker and and everything. And um, you know, I just you know, I, I just I just wanted to mention that because um, you know, I just I, I don't understand because it's always going to be people that you're not going to get along with, and you're not going to get, I mean, you could be working at a job for 30 years as a black person, and it could be some white upstart come in on their first day, look at you all suspicious, like you don't have a right to be there, and talk to you like, talk down to you and everything. You just, and and, I, and I, I was telling them, I said, you just have to get over that. You have to, you know, just just try to ignore those kind of people and just move on because they're going to always be there and and stuff, and so... Um, that's all I wanted to say. Thank you. For sure. For sure. That is, uh, I think that's another one. I think people have a difficult time grasping that, uh, you, as you're, there is no safe spot from racism, white supremacy. Uh, that is unfortunate. Uh, it, you know, things would be much better if you could go and get this job over here or this job over there and not have to deal uh, with racist man, racist woman. But that's just not the world that we live in. <laughs> they, they're going to be there in one shape or form uh, somehow, some way. So, you know, it, it really doesn't pay uh, to just think, well, I'm going to just be in a habit of I don't like this particular person here. And sometimes it can be even non-white people. I don't like this particular person or they're racist or this, that and the other. Uh, you're just not going to be able to outrun that uh, on the global plantation of white supremacy. It's probably going to be pretty similar uh, on other jobs. And again, that's something else that I just didn't really hear that being discussed uh, when I was younger uh, working and what have you. That was something that was way, way, way down the road. And I hear that from a lot of people that they're racist on this job. So I'll leave and just not understanding that you're just going to be running into the racists that you're running from. You're just going to be running into their brothers and cousins and uncles uh, on the new job that you go to. Uh, other folks that uh, had comments or questions about what we've heard thus far, or if you had your own situation you wanted to share uh, feel free. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Oh, yes, greetings to guests, the host, the listeners, and callers. Uh, I had a few. Uh, observations and conversations over the past week or two. Um, uh, 
the first is um, I've been noticing like a lot of the, uh, well, I guess it may be classified under the albino affairs type thing, where like a lot of uh, white people have been talking about like, you know, how they can't stay out in the sun. You know, like one guy I was talking with, he said, you know, his, his weekend, or last weekend, he was uh, going to start working in the um, mowing the lawn or something. He said, you know, I got to hurry up and, you know, get it done, man. I was like, why Why is that? He says, because, like, within 15 minutes, you know, I just can't, I can't bear it. You know, I was like, I didn't know what he was talking about. He said, you know, I like my skin, you know. Like, I just started getting burned up. And and then uh, he was saying, you know, I don't want to buy any, uh, any sunscreen. So, you know, I just try and get it done before it gets too hot. And uh, this this one lady was saying, she said, I like how your hair is so cur- so curly or, or, or whatnot. And uh, she was saying, you know, my hair is just so boring and uh, brittle and um, can't really do anything with it. And uh, this same lady was, um, she called another uh, um, white person skin fair. And he was saying that he came from his uh, dermatologist and he's having some kind of skin issues under his eye. So he's been applying some kind of ointment on it. And he was saying, yeah, you know, he, you know, uh, uh, our skin tends to have these problems when we get to our age. And one, one girl was saying, you know what? She said my name and then she had like sunburns. She was saying, you'll never get to know what this feels like. And I said, oh, well, it's just too bad. And then, you know, she started laughing. Uh, she walked out. And that that was um, a, a few conversations about, like, um, how people or employees would travel to work or walk to work and encountering, I guess, uh, homeless people uh, saying derogatory things, practicing racism and whatnot. Like, I had this happen to me last year. There was a black female who was uh, called a nigger and uh, said, you you should just die. And she, you know, she told me this. And, um, you know, she was saying, you know that guy that said that to you? And I was like, yeah. I said, he said something to you too? And then, you know, she told me that. Say, you, you nigger, you should just die. And then, you know, she told me, she told him, I know Dr. Wilson mentioned his word that, oh, well, he was just crazy. And uh, apparently he has a some kind of mental health uh, case. And he was, I guess, placed in some kind of, um, I wouldn't call it an asylum, some kind of uh, hospital or whatever for a couple of days. But he's still been, been able to uh, meander through downtown and um, hang out wherever he goes. So I've been ignoring the same guy. And I had a white person tell me uh, that, you know, she was walking behind me on the way to work, that <laughs> that uh, I avoided him, and she was walking behind me. And this dude, like, he just starts saying, nigger, 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 you know. And then she said, "You know what? I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad you uh, <laughs> you you avoided them. I can understand why you would do that. So that reminded me of what Mr. Fuller says: you need another white person. 
to prove um, that uh, a, a white supremacist is a white supremacist. So, uh, and I said that to lead up to this conversation this morning. A, uh, my my white female coworker, she comes to me and she says, um, "You know what? I was on the way walking here to work this morning, and you know things just got very heated." And this, this this guy, she didn't say what he was classified as, but she said he had dreadlocks. So she said, um, this guy yells, uh, you white mother effers, why are you always, you know, trying to, why are you always scared of me? And he yelled out, why are you trying to kill us? Because I guess that might have been related to uh, the uh, black males being uh, executed and shot by uh, suspected race soldiers. And, um, you know, she's telling, she told me this, and she was, you know, of course, networking with other um, whites in the workplace, you know, in the same department. But, you know, she told me, and uh, she was telling me, you know, I was just so scared, and I was so scared. But in my mind, I'm thinking, man, this guy threatened me and the other female. He was just yelling out questions to you. You know, sure, it was... Uh, it may have, it may not have been in the most courteous manner, but it sounded like he was yelling questions. You know, why are you trying to kill us, and why are you scared of me? It didn't sound like it was a threat, but she said this guy had some kind of dreads or whatever, and she said she was, she felt, uh, she was scared. And this email goes out later on today that you know people should, because uh, they like to speak in general terms, people should be careful on their route to their vehicles and to the workplace. And I'm thinking it has something to do with her particular incident. But yet, you know, when it happened to me, <laughs> and I even had a white person tell me, oh, man, it seems like they're trying to put this on you. You know, so they, you know, they, uh, they're very informed, even when they're mistreating you. So those were uh, some of the observations for, well, from the past two weeks. And uh, that's all I have. Legendary, legendary. <laughs> the uh, albino affairs, all of that. I'm sure there's lots and lots of that going around now that it's summertime and the sun is out. And uh, I even heard some white people, they were going by and said, oh, my gosh, I'm like a lot. Lots of that. You can a lobster. That was what she said. I'm, I look like a lobster. Oh, my gosh. Uh, there's going to be a whole lot of that going for uh, the next, what, till September, I would think, at least uh, while the uh, weather is warm. Um, as for, I think you, I think you had told us before uh, about the situation where you were accosted by this random white uh, individual race soldier, uh, while you were walking, uh, to work, uh, and he called you a nigger, you know, how the situation went down. Uh, but I remember you telling us about that and the contrast when it happened to a white person before, and they asked you to escort, uh, this white woman, you know, to her vehicle to make sure that she got there safe and sound and no such procedures were encouraged or recommended for you, uh, when you were threatened, uh, in your route to, uh, to get to, to get to work or to get from your vehicle or what have you. That's, 
standard operating procedure. And again, white lives matter. I said that on the program last week. You'll see that play out consistently uh, where if a white person is threatened or even if they just make up that I'm afraid or I'm scared or he looked at me funny. It's, oh, my gosh, we have to mobilize a counterterrorism unit and, you know, we have to have meetings and security and all kinds of antics and anything can happen to a black person. Hmm. Yeah. That's unfortunate. Moving along, like no security, no concern, no nothing. Uh, you'll see that play out for males, females, children, uh, consistent within the system of racism, white supremacy. Um, let's see, some of the other, uh, feel like it was uh, a lot of different uh, situations uh, playing out within that in terms of the, the people making the comments about you'll never have to uh, experience that. That's another one I think that'll be very common uh, throughout the summertime. If you pay attention, you'll hear that sort of expression uh, regularly articulated. Um, I will, I guess I'll pause uh, in case if folks had questions, anything that they wanted to share about what they heard uh, from any of the callers. Or if you had your own anecdotes you wanted to share as well, uh, feel free. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, greetings to the callers. Um, I love the broadcast. I've been a long-time uh, listener, and um, I just wanted to share. Um, I'm familiar with the uh, University of Virginia, Gus. I actually live about 45 minutes away from there. So I actually took my sons down two weeks ago to good old Thomas Jefferson's uh, plantation there and, uh, and, <laughs> and took a tour, and I can tell you that the experience of the tour um, is very interesting to say the least. Um, but I'll give two quick examples of, um, of, of just things that I've just noticed. I'm a part of a leadership program, uh, in a local, very small town. And I guess one of the things that they try to promote is diversity. Um, out of 20 people, there's a non-white female, myself, and then another person that's probably classified as Asian. Would that be accurate? Um, so they decide that two Fridays ago, this is going to be the, uh, black history portion of it. And so basically they take us to this old train station and there's a, uh, woman, uh, classified as white and she runs the tour and she has us looking in this glass case. And, uh, in this glass case, you know, there's different artifacts during antebellum slavery and things of that nature. And she says, well, I want you guys to take a look at this here. And she says, look at these nice bracelets that they had to wear. And I just looked at her and I said, ma'am, that is totally incorrect. And she said, what was incorrect about it? I said, for you to classify those as a bracelet as a fashion accessory. And everyone just looked and everyone just stopped. And um, she said, okay, then I stand corrected. Those are not bracelets. And so we continue to move forward. So then they're dragging us all along to all these different um, – African-American spots where it was almost racist in the way that she was doing the tour. Cause she was like, Oh, if you look at this street and East Davis street all the way now, this is where the black people used to have businesses, but they're not here anymore. Um, which was very, very interesting. And I'm like, this is a part of our job. Like what, what, how is this helping anybody? Um, but the main reason for this is that just on my learning and listening to this program, uh, the tour guide, we had a second tour guide that was a white female, and um, I listened to Mr. Fuller constantly, probably six, seven hours a day in conjunction with the cows, and I just learned to start asking questions. And I just asked the second tour guide a question when we were by ourselves, and I said, can you tell me the last time 
uh, the last lynching in this town was, in this small town. And she said, oh, yeah, it was um, maybe about 60 to 70 years ago. And she said, it's public record, and many of the people here, um, some people are actually still alive that actually witnessed it. And I said, why is that not talked about? She said, well, you know, we can't talk about that. And I was like, hmm. Um, so just for me listening to this particular program and going to work, um, one other one that I always share uh, with my children is how I always remember when Straight Outta Compton came out and my branch manager, I'm in the mortgage business, and my branch manager was raving about this movie. He said, this is the greatest movie I've ever seen. It's fantastic. You know, and I just asked him, I was like, what was so good about it? And he said, oh, the authenticity. And what that equal to me is he just loved seeing black people call each other nigger, 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 nigger. He just loved it. So, um, like I said, this is the most constructive program I've listened to. Uh, the Thomas Jefferson tour that I went on was fantastic, simply because you're just so much learning. Um, talking about Sally Hemming, there was a non-white female that gave the tour there as well. Um, I asked my children, let's see how many, uh, <laughs> let's see how many times that they actually talk about rape and molestation, and it was zero, which I told my children that would be accurate. I said, let's see how many times that we talk about violence. They didn't talk about it at all. Um, so they always like to make Mr. Jefferson um, look fantastic. And as Gus knows, the amount, it's particularly in this part of Virginia, in the Charlottesville, Orange County, the amount of adoration and love, and I would almost say worship, for all these Civil War uh, so-called heroes, it's, it's astounding. And, and that just, just being in this area, I just tell my, my, my children and I just tell non-white people that this is just proven that racism, white supremacy isn't going anywhere. Um, Monticello and James Madison, Montepierre, if I'm pronouncing it right, those places are packed every weekend. I mean, they have wine festivals there. I don't attend, but those are places that have been reserved for rape and, and mistreatment of black people. And for those places to be packed with people classified as white is enough, and that's all I need to see. Thanks, and I'll meet my line. The great Commonwealth is in the building today, right on for VA. Uh, I think it's Mount Pelia, uh, unless I've been misinformed. Uh, one of the many, 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 many tourist sites where you can go. Uh, where black people were tortured and maimed, and now you get to go and see all the cute bracelets that they wore uh, back, you know, in the good old days in antebellum Virginia. Um, that is uh, great questions to have. Where, where is that, Gus? Where, where is that? Where, where is this place he's talking about where you're going to school? What, what part of Virginia, what big city is that from? Were you at my yeah, yeah, go ahead, sir. Oh, no. Um, I live in Culpeper, Virginia. So Culpeper is, it's, it's a, I like to call it a triangle. So if you have Fredericksburg, Culpeper, and Charlottesville. So Mad, and then also you have Orange, Virginia. Orange, Virginia is James Madison, Montpelier, uh, to where I might be mixing them up because I've taken my kids to every single one of them. But um, Orange, Virginia, that's James Madison. That's 15 minutes away from my house. Thomas Jefferson is about 30 minutes away from my house. And you can literally take these tours, particularly at James Madison. Um, that particular tour was interesting in itself is that they're actually rebuilding slave cabins. And a huge act of racism that I saw was actually, <laughs> I did a loan for one of the guys that actually is rebuilding the cabins. 
And he said, oh, yeah, we're going to rebuild the cabins. And then after that, you know, they're going to be allowed to, sometimes if people want to sit down in the cabins when they're doing their wine festival, which is huge, it averages anywhere between four to 5,000 um, per predominantly white people per year, they go there and they enjoy it. So um, it's they're really easy attractions to get to. Um, they're extremely constructive, and I think that if you have kids, uh, particularly I don't really care what the age is. My son, my 12-year-old son, actually took a tour there, and he kind of has learned you know, through being patient to communicate like me. And he mentions things like, well, this is where rape and Sally Hemming and things of that nature um, so I think it's real, real constructive, particularly, but I, I never see a lot of non-white people visiting these places, um, for some particular reason, but you have tons, and I mean tons of white tourists that literally spend the day there, they're on tracks, they're walking dogs, I mean everything, everything. I act because when I was a kid, I was taken to the slave quarters, real slave quarters, and I was in Virginia, but I was in the Williamsburg, like the colonial Williamsburg, and then it was like a half an hour down the road from there, and um, we had to pay extra for that that experience, and what experience it was. So I, I just wanted to know if you was at the same place I was at, but it doesn't sound like you. No, it's, uh, it's totally different, but, I mean, there's enough plantations around here that are now formal, what we like to call, bed, that are now bed and breakfasts. Um, to where, I mean, there's even one in Louisa County to where you can actually live the way the slaves live. So they give you bed and breakfast in the cabin, um, and they bring everything up to you in a room that's about by five by five, if that's what it's called. So total just clear acts of racism, but, you know, it's white supremacy. So that's what they do. Yeah, there are lots of those spots in uh, Virginia um, where you can go and slave quarters and that sort of thing. It's all over the place <laughs> in uh, Virginia. Um, I did want to get a comment in uh, quickly. The I guess the race soldier on your job who had commented about his adoration for uh, the film Straight Outta Compton. I think that's widespread uh, where whites, they just love, love, love uh, those sorts of depictions uh, of black people, in particular in that film, because you got some black-on-black -black conflict and uh, them singing and, and calling each other nigger every, you know, five seconds, basically. Love that sort of thing. I can totally understand why uh, whites would appreciate that type of uh, entertainment. And other people, even within the context of just workplace racism, have talked about the same thing, uh, how whites were just rejoicing. They wanted to go see that movie and then quoting lines. Uh, from the movie on the job to be funny and that sort of thing just widespread which again just in my view shows that whites they are not ignorant about racism white supremacy you can't make those sorts of joke jokes uh, and in my view you would not have that sort of appreciation uh, for that type of cinema uh, if there was not a major element of white supremacy and why you enjoy seeing black people being depicted in that manner absolutely If folks, uh, if you all have questions, or I guess before I do that, make sure I include. person uh, wrote in, they wrote in since we've been on live. Uh, they wrote in, uh, this correspondence is in reference to sharing an observation of what I suspect to be tacky racist behavior within the workplace. The majority of employees at the workplace are classified as black. 
a black male supervisor that I will refer to as Mr. Black informed his employees that he would be resigning to begin employment in another unit within the department. Immediately, there was a hurried plan of action to set up a farewell uh, poison cake and ice cream party. While sitting at the cubicle assigned to me, I was interrupted with a request to sign a farewell card for Mr. Black. I grabbed my pen, and just as I was about to sign the card, I noticed that the card had an image of a bulldog. Excuse me, had to sneeze. Uh, so the card... Two sneezes. Sorry. All right. I was interrupted with a request to sign a farewell card for Mr. Black. I grabbed my pen and just as I was about to sign the card, I noticed that the card had an image of a bulldog with a sad facial expression. As I opened the expandable greeting card, there was an array of dog images with speech bubbles. I glanced over the card turned to the black female that requested my signature and asked her who chose the card. She replied, oh, Miss Debbie picked it out. Miss Debbie is classified as white. I wrote a message on the back of the card telling Mr. Black to enjoy the rest of his journey. Associating black people with dogs, it'd be interesting to see what some of these speech bubbles said uh, and what have you, and even maybe to get uh, Miss Debbie, suspected race soldier, to explain why she picked this particular card with all of these uh, hounds on it, bulldogs specifically, uh, for this black male, I guess, being relocated wherever he was uh, in the company. But uh, the tackiness is going to be there regardless. I try to stay away from all of that stuff anytime they have any sort of parties and farewell, you know, get-togethers for employees that are leaving. Mr. Fuller even had a funny story about that. He worked uh, at his job uh, for 32 years, and he said when he got ready to retire that they threw a big uh, party for him with a cake and all that, and he had said that he didn't want to do any of this stuff anyway. He had said that repeatedly, but they did it anyway and brought him up, and I think he said he stayed there for about five minutes, and then he left, and everybody was, where's Fuller, where's Fuller? And they couldn't find him, and he dipped out on his own party at about five minutes because he just he had no interest in all that, which is the same way that I feel about it. Anywho, uh, other folks who dialed in, if you have a hand up, if you have commentary you would like to share, feel free. Have you heard? Uh, I heard both of you. I guess we'll get our female caller first. Hi, this is uh, Kua from Milwaukee. Um, I had a uh, incident at work where um, we were waiting for to get our route, and on this particular day, it, it took uh, it took a minute for uh, the dispatchers to get everybody out. So usually, um, a group of white Males, they'll go and they'll sit in the front while they're while they're waiting. So this particular day, I went in the front too, and I just I was just sitting there waiting with them. So um, the supervisor comes through, and uh, he he sees us, and then um, he goes back uh, into the lab to ask the um, dispatchers basically like, "What's taking so long?" or whatever. So. Um, I proceed to get up and, I, you know, walk in the other direction. And uh, while I'm walking through the door, he says, hey, you guys, why don't you go in 
and help them out in there so we can get these routes out. Now, I have never, I don't, I've only worked there, it'll be like a year in August, but I've never, ever heard him ask for anybody to go inside to help out for dispatching. Some, you know, no matter how long it's taken, it's taken a long time before for them to get stuff out, but I've never heard him ask, you know, for people to go in. But um, I just kept walking through the door. So maybe about 10, 15 minutes later, he comes to me and he says, um, uh, why didn't you go into the lab when I asked um, for everybody to go in the lab? I said, I didn't realize that you were speaking to me because you said you guys. And uh, he just said, okay. But I just was thinking, like, he probably wouldn't have even said that had he not seen me sitting in the front because I don't usually sit up there. I'm usually uh, in, the, in the back waiting for my route. But I, I, I just never heard him uh, say anything about going in to help out or anything like that or um I just think he said that to me because I was sitting, you know, said that because I was sitting out front. But, you know, I told him I didn't think that he was talking to me because he said, you guys. And I said, I'm not a guy. And he just was like, okay. And he walked off. And that's all I had. Great question. Always great to stay uh, in the question lane. It sounds like he left you alone. Didn't cause any problems. And right on. <laughs> Keep it moving. Always great if you can. Uh, have a question uh, just to ask so you can get clarification uh, about, you know, what to do, what not to do, that sort of thing uh, on the job. Uh, and again, paying attention to patterns, because I think you said that you, am I correct? Did I hear correctly that you said you had not, this seemed to be a deviation from what's normally done in terms of asking people to go in to help uh, get this task completed, that that seemed to be a deviation for what has typically been done? Yes, I, I've never heard it since I've been there. I mean, we've waited from like I started at seven forty-five, and sometimes we've gone, we've gotten our, we've gotten out as late as eight thirty. You know, we'll just the drivers will just be waiting around. And I've never heard him say, you know, go in and help them out up in there. I, I've never heard that mm. since I've been working there. But I think only because he saw me sitting in the front, and I usually sit towards the towards the back. But he he saw me sitting in the front with two other. Um, white drivers who were waiting, they were just sitting there talking or whatever. I was just sitting. I wasn't talking to them, so I was just sitting and waiting. But I don't think he would have said anything had he not seen me there. I think he just seeing me sitting, you know, prompted him to say, hey, you know, shouldn't you guys be doing some work? But like I told him, I'm not a guy, so I didn't think that he was addressing me. So that's why I didn't go into the lab. I wanted. I had a quick question, uh, ma'am, if it's all right. Um, are you the same caller that had dialed in uh, in the Wisconsin area where uh, they, I guess, asked you, I guess you did your own sort of uh, evaluation of your performance on the job? Was that you recently? Yes, that's me. Oh, okay. How did your evaluation turn out? Or did they give feedback or what have you on that process? No, not yet. They haven't started calling people. And I, what I heard, what they do is they let you evaluate yourself first and then, you know, uh, they one by one sit down and talk to you. So they, they haven't gotten, they haven't done that yet. I haven't heard anybody say that they've had their evaluation yet. Oh, okay. Just wanted to follow up on that, uh, you know, see if they had any anything to say uh, about you giving yourself some, some high marks, and particularly in light of the toxic uh, environment that you've had to work in with all of the uh, inappropriate uh, sexual conduct uh, that you've had to tolerate while you've been trying to get your job done. So just wanted to see how that, how all of that was resolved. <clears throat> uh, 
think there was, uh, and again, if folks have questions, if you have questions about, you know, what people are sharing or if you have suggestions or what have you, you can feel free. I know there was a male caller who spoke uh, simultaneously who also uh, had something they wanted to share. Uh, are you still there, sir? Uh, yes, I am. Uh, good evening to everyone. Um, yeah, I wanted to add a few things. So I, I always get a, always have a paranoid feeling when I share on workplace racism because I, I always like suspect that some racists that I work with could hear me and then try to, you know, terrorize me on, on the job. But whatever it is, what it is, we're all under uh, the system of white supremacy. But anyway, so uh, I'm in the military. Uh, I know I've said that in the past. And anyway, I work in an area. We were doing screenings on, um, you know, military members. Um, and these particular members of, of the military have to do a, they have to do a swimming test. They have to pass a, a swimming test. So, um, I'm kind of like, I'm in the, you know, medical field. So this, uh, older white, um, woman comes up to me and says, wow, well, you know, we're doing the same job, me and her same uh, job, but seeing different people. She comes up to me and says, wow, this has been a really busy morning. I'm like, you know, yeah, and I agree with her because it was a busy morning. So I was like, yeah, it has been. And she was like, man, these uh, these uh, patients that we're seeing, are, they've been pretty tough. I'm like, yeah, you know, I had a tough one too this morning. So she goes into detail. She said, yeah, you know, I saw my patients have been uh, pretty tough um, this morning, uh, especially these Africans. I'm like, what? You know, I have to restrain myself from, you know, saying something. But it's like, yeah, these Africans, they're – so she, she speaks of a particular condition that they're in, saying that their condition is just horrible, like it's just the worst she's ever seen. Like, oh, my God, you know, they're just so bad with, with this. I'm like, okay, you know, whatever. I didn't really respond. I'm just listening at this point. And then she says, uh, you know um, – and I don't know how she related this to the swimming test because we have nothing to do directly with their swimming test. She's like, yeah, you know, they have to take their swimming test. And, you know, these Africans can't swim. And I'm like, you know, I'm just thinking, like, what, what does that have to do with what we're doing? And why are you even telling me? That? I mean, I know why. Practicing racism. And um, then she says, uh, you know, yeah, these Africans can't swim. I mean, there's. Well, no, they're from Africa. Where where are they going to swim at? And I'm like, <laughs> you know, it's not even logical. It's just racism. Just you're just spewing out just nonsense. You know, racist nonsense. And you know, I just took that and you know whatever. Our conversation ended. I didn't really say much, and it was just like, yeah, okay. I just been uh, bombarded with some with some racism. I just feel like I, my time is hijacked man by these races and I have to listen to their racist remarks and I have to restrain myself and be codified and, and, on, and not respond to them. And of course, again, these, these little things like this, they add up to, it's a little stress every time. Um, also, I want to talk about another, oh, it's it two other things actually, but one thing, um, a, uh, black male that I, I talked to pretty frequently was telling me that a, uh, there's a white, you know, we just recently did some evaluations on certain, uh, you know, members that we work with. 
and uh, the black male was telling me, hey, man, um, you know, he was talking about a, a white male that works in a different department. He's like, man, he was really pissed off about his evaluation. He was telling me that, you know, and of course, you know, I, I have uh, some, um, something to do with some of the evaluations. I'm like, okay. And, you know, and I expect that because I know white people, they pretty much feel they deserve the, the top evaluation just, just for being white, really. You know, they don't really, and this guy, you know, I've, I've, I've been there for the majority of the evaluation period. And I'm like, you know, I'm just like, what is he, what is he, what is this gripe about? I know what it is, but I'm just like, man, what is he, what is he saying? He's like, yeah, he just didn't give me credit for anything I I did. And I'm just, oh my God, I'm just pissed off with this evaluation. Um, and I'm like, I'm talking to the black man. I'm like, man, this guy didn't do nothing, man. He's, I'm not, you know, he's not, definitely not the, you know, the lowest evaluation, but I think he got just due. Actually, I think he got a little more than just due. And I'm just like, it's just so typical of these white people. Hey, I'm white. I should be getting the best evaluation. Everything I do should be magnified and um, really should be looked at better than, you can, I can do the exact same thing uh, a non-white person does or a black person does, but if I do it and we do it to the same degree, I should get more credit for it because I'm white. But I was just I was just laughing at that. And then um, I had experience with a uh, non-white, non-black male. Uh, he was he's really my supervisor. I kind of hate saying that, cause, but anyway. So I was I'm I'm kind of growing my hair out. You know, I use I usually have it really low, cut really low. This time, I'm like, hey, I'm tired of cutting my hair so frequently, so let me let it grow out. So he makes a comment, you know, and he, you know, I guess he feels some type of, uh, I don't know, he seemed, he wants to feel some type of kindred spirit to me, but I don't know. Of course, what he said was, uh, you know, related to racism. He was like, man, your, your hair, man, I like it. I liked it better when it was, it was shorter. And I'm like, okay, whatever, man. And um, I'm still within, you know, all the regulations and stuff, the standards, whatever. And then uh, he said, yeah, it's looking, uh, you know, kind of, uh, it's a little dirty. I'm like, what? You know, again, I have to restrain myself. Like, you know, I'm pretty particular with my hygiene, so nothing dirty about my hair. It's just the way it grows out of my scalp or whatever. And then another time he said, you know, yeah, man, it's looking a little uh, nappy. And, again, I'm like, okay, you're a supervisor. He's not white, not black. So, you know, I, I give him a little bit more, you know, I, I give him a pass, but it's just it really irks me. And, you know, and that was it. So that's all I have. Thanks for letting me share. Appreciate it. Hmm. What is it that uh, you said it, it kind of irks you or bothers you at some level uh, to reference this non-white, non-black person as your supervisor? Uh, what, uh, what about it bothers you, I guess, to reference him as your supervisor? Um, I would say that I think, I mean, he's, uh, he's definitely knowledgeable about certain things a little more than me. I think just because he's exposed to different people, but um, I'm quite, I believe I'm 
more knowledgeable than this guy, but he's in that position higher than me, so I have to, you know, subject myself to listening. Because a couple of times I had I had to. He thought I was being rude. He was like, hey, why are you so uh, angry this morning? But he was giving me instructions on something that I've, I could do in my sleep, and I've done it, and I and at time, I feel like I do it better than him uh, uh, many times. And he's giving me these detailed instructions. I'm like, I'm telling him, like, I don't need your instructions, man. I know how to do this. And he's like, oh, okay, you're kind of grumpy today. I'm like... <laughs> Grumpy man, just I don't don't waste my time giving me these instructions. You, you know, he's talking to me like he's talking to a, you know, fresh, you know, a person that has no experience whatsoever. And that's one of the things, and it's just little things like that, like racial. You know, he he would uh, comment on uh, Donald Trump, like, yeah, I don't I don't think he's racist, and I'm like, you know, he said that one time, and I'm like, hey, this. You have to wear a Klan suit to be considered. Like, what do you have to do to be considered racist? But I said that, and then I, you know, I stepped away. I was like, man, this guy is confused, really, really confused. And he's, since he's my supervisor, I can't just dismiss him or just, you know, utterly just like, hey, man, get away from me. But that 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 bothers me. <laughs> and then the fact he said nappy and like, you're not black. Don't 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 talk. You know, he'll, oh, he'll he made uh, some comments about. Um, the Chicago area, like, oh, yeah, Chicago is so bad. And I spent some a significant uh, part of my childhood in Chicago. And he was just, you know, don't go there. It's just, you know, you just get shot immediately. I'm like, I said, whoa, whoa, you know, I'm from there, man. You you think it's, all the people aren't bad in Chicago. And just a little goofy, just the racist uh, ideology, he just spews it out himself. And it bothers me. Understood. That is super common, really almost all of it, but uh, definitely just trying to go in order uh, in terms of the supervisor. Uh, even sometimes they'll have a non-white person who is less informed than the non-white people uh, that they will be supervising. Uh, but it's whites who are responsible for that person having that title as being supervisor. They do that sort of thing all the time. I think generally it is uh, white people, whites that are not qualified or have less experience, they end up with those uh, type of uh, jobs, positions, and the uh, hefty salary that typically accompanies them, uh, where you are way more informed, way more knowledgeable, uh, and then they're coming and talking down to you and talking, well, let me, let me show you how to do this. Let me you know, see if I can get you some information here as though you're stupid and don't know what you're doing uh, when Nothing could be further from the truth. I think that's, you know, just extremely common under the system in terms of the comments about the hair. I think it's got this. Uh, I just I think it's important. I think certainly I think black females, uh, it is a more recurrent experience in terms of hair being a problem, particularly if you decide that you are not going to chemically mutilate your hair and that being an issue in the workplace. But it certainly uh, is an issue regularly for black males also. Uh, particularly if you do not want to have super close cropped hair. Uh, it certainly can end up being a problem. I think we had the male caller on earlier in the uh, great Commonwealth of Virginia who said he uh, had his locks and ended up having to cut them so that he could you know, try to uh, do a little bit better in the workplace and not have whites attacking him for that. But that is not just a problem exclusive to black females. That's something that a lot of black males encounter as well. Uh, in terms of the remarks 
that is, I mean, that's so common in terms of just those type of, of trashy and tacky comments uh, from whites, certainly, but even a lot of non-white people engage in that. I know Pam uh, called in, we talked about it regularly in terms of uh, just black coworkers engaging in that sort of thing and, and calling each other, you know, you're a nappy head, just and blah, 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 and all that sort of stuff. Um, I think it's really, I think it's really important uh, in terms of the workplace environment, really just the entire environment, the world that is saturated with white supremacy to just kind of have in mind that uh, I'm not going to have uh, my feelings hurt. I'm not saying that you, but just in terms of trying to get a mind state where uh, I expect people to make to, to make these sort of, of comments all the time. Uh, I try to think of it for people that are accustomed to sports. Uh, when you are the road team, you expect to go into the environment and for it to be hostile uh, and for them to say nasty things about you uh, and everybody that you're with and your family and friends. Like, that's what you expect. Like, that's what the system of white supremacy is. The entire planet is the home team for racism, white supremacy. So that's what it's going to be. Uh, and just to have that in mind so that um, we're just not as impacted. We're not even surprised. Like, that's what I expect. That's what I, you know, expect you to make those type of comments about my hair, about black people in general. I expect you to make those type of comments about Chicago or any place uh, that is stereotypically recognized that is an area that has a large population of black people for you to make disparaging comments about them. That's what I would be surprised if you didn't do it. And, you know, I'm not bothered. That's that's what I expect. That's what you all do every day. Uh, and I'm just keep going about my business that I don't I don't feel a need to respond like this is this is exactly the way that whites have designed and engineered the planet to be. This is exactly the way that they have contaminated everybody, including victims of racism, non-white people uh, to function, behave as well. Uh, and I'm not going to, you know, allow that to the best of my ability. I'm not going to have that stuff impact uh, my feelings at all. Uh, I'm just continuing to go about my business. Not saying being a robot that you're totally immune or to pretend that you didn't hear it, but just understanding that 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 sort of thing is supposed to happen in the system of white supremacy and to the best of our ability, just you know, mon managing our emotions. I put that in the description every time for workplace racism in terms of how that sort of thing uh, impacts us and trying to minimize that as much uh, as much as possible. Uh, the grumpy black person, that's common <laughs> that all the time. You're grumpy, you're angry because you're not, you know, just falling out of the chair laughing at every joke and trying to be a part of the entertainment committee and just keep everyone uh, cracking up with laughter, just, you know, being serious, uh, astute, going about your job, then somehow you are a grumpy black person or an angry black person. Uh, I'm sure a whole lot of folks uh, have heard that, myself included, uh, on the job. Not that you're being rude or curt, but just, you know, I know how to do this. We can proceed. We have other things that we need to take care of. Next task. Let's get that more. And somehow you you end up being a grumpy individual. Um, let me see. Was there anything else that stood out? If uh, I, I guess I'll pause there. If, if other folks, if you all have comments or suggestions, questions about things that you uh, have heard or people, if you want to respond, anything, if you, if you shared and you have follow ups that you want to make sure you get in, uh, feel free to uh, share as well. Uh, double check to make sure we didn't miss uh, anybody that called in with a hand up, uh, everybody that dialed in with a hand up should be with us. Uh, did we miss anybody that that we have not heard from who had commentary? Yeah, can I, can I share something? For sure. Well, well I had a question. Um, so I had two questions, actually. Um, one is, like, well, in the workplace, well, in, I guess, in, like, in the workplace, um, it's very, like, I don't know how to, it's very quick, 
when a how a situation can turn into something um, something racist, like 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 a few weeks ago, something happened. I think like uh, a conversation can go well, not really a conversation, like a like a short conversation can go about you know where do you come from to like you know like talking about like making jokes about like the residents or something like that, and it can happen in such like a like a quick moment and. You know, like uh, those jokes and things like that, they don't really, I guess, impact me like afterward, but like I still go on my job. But like in that moment, like I like I don't know if I'm, I don't know like my reaction is giving away like, like I don't want to laugh. I don't want to, um, I also don't want to give away like any sign of like, I don't know, like anger or something. It's like a mixed emotion. And I was just wondering, like, how do people prepare for themselves? Because I also don't want to be, like, somebody that's, I don't know, um, yeah, like, whatever, the grumpy black or the two, or whatever. But I also don't want to give away, like, what what I'm feeling at that moment. You know, I don't know. And um, I also wanted to know about, because you guys were talking about here, and I remember, like, I have a... Uh, a companion who's sort of like uh, who has dreads, and he's finding it really hard to to, to get a job. Um, and I remember, like in undergrad, like all of us, we had long, some of us had long hair, like dreads, and we cut our hair off. And now, because like the industry that we're in is like it's like high finance, and pretty much like I don't know anybody that's working there with dreads, and it's kind of difficult for me to tell him that he should probably cut his dreads. I just don't know how to approach it, but. Because, you know, I mean, now we're, like, grown men, but I don't know. I feel like that's the biggest impediment because he's, like, really smart. He has, like, everything together, but except I feel like that's an issue in the industry that we're in. So I was just wondering, like, how I can approach him and also the question of, like, how do you react to, like, really quick, like, racist situations in the workplace? Thank you. Hmm. Definitely. Can I, be, can I be heard? Yes, sir. So, yes, sir. We about can... the about about the hello. Yes, about sir. We can. Dread. Yes, about the dread. I said before, if 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 you're going to play this game, it's like you're going to get a job. You're not, you know, you're not going to work for yourself, or you know, what I'm saying you're going to work in the establishment. You got to play that game, and you gotta you have to do what you have to do to advance in their imagination what you have to do. You have to you have to you have to you have to adjust. You have to conform. It's a it's a part of it. You you're not gonna make that much people who make millions and millions of dollars working don't make it <laughs> being pro knowledge yourself or knowledge of whatever or black or whatever you want to call it. You you conformed and that's how you get it. You know, I make I make a hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year, but the way that I did it, you know, was I was working on a on on on, on some docks at the Pentagon. And someone came to me, and they was they they always seen me alone, you know. And they was like, you know, we got a position upstairs, 
and I had my locks. We got a position upstairs where you'll get a security clearance and you'll be able to move forward with it. That wasn't his, his exact words, but that's what I got from it. And they put me in the warehouse, but with the security clearances, you can go anywhere throughout the you throughout the DOD and DOL and when I say DOD, I mean Department of Defense and Department of Labor's and all of I live in the Washington D.C. area, but I hit a point where you know I was just working on a help desk and I wasn't really able to, to proceed, you know. But when I cut my hair, <laughs> it's crazy because what, before I cut my hair and I was going on interviews. It was like, okay, we'll call you back. Okay, you know, you're 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 in the, you're in the, in the running. But when I cut my hair and went on the interviews, it was you got the job. When can you start? When? And this, you know, you, your hair is important. Your hair is important. So, if all I'm saying is, tell the brothers if if they really want to be about it, then be about it. You know. If you really want to, if if you really, if you if you try to play this game, play it to the fullest. You don't gotta you don't gotta sell yourself to do it. But some things you gonna have to let go of, <laughs> you know. But uh, I also uh, Thomas in New York, the uh, Mon- Monticello uh, plantation is only forty five minutes from Washington D.C. So if you don't want to stay in Virginia, you can also stay in uh, in Washington D.C. and then just you know go down into Virginia and and go to the plantation. But uh, Gus, is it okay if I share uh, one more thing? Would that be okay? Uh, if uh, I just wanted to make sure the the previous caller, because he had two questions about how to respond when they make the racist jokes, and then if once he gets his feedback, absolutely. If you want to give us another uh, anecdote, if you had whatever else you wanted to share, absolutely, we'll have time for that too. I just wanted to make sure he got both of his questions answered because uh, you got the first one. I thought that was great. Your response to the hair situation. Um, I think his other question, I think, was uh, when racist and even. Some non-white people, victims of racism, when they make these little tacky comments, you know, your your hair looks dirty or it's nappy or they make some sort of racist jokes about non-white people or they say something about Chicago. Like, how do you respond in that minute so that you are not being branded as an angry black person or a grumpy Negro, um, but also you're not laughing. You're not, you know, falling out of your chair laughing at these sort of remarks uh, and what have you. Uh, one suggestion I would give right out of uh, the word guide Hmm. That's uh, one of my favorites uh, when I'm talking to uh, a racist or if I'm talking to a victim of racism, uh, I am not agreeing with what you said. I'm not laughing. I'm just that is my communication that I heard what you said. (laughs) Hmm. And I might pause. And my response. uh, Just give me one second. Just give me one second. I apologize. All good. All good. Uh, I just do that. And then I would try to move my recommendation. I try to move back to talking about work related things. 
Uh, if it came up, if they were making specifically racist jokes, not the comments or what have you, but if they were specifically making racist jokes, I would say that that's the sort of thing that I try not to participate in. It's been my experience that that can cause uh, conflict. It can make the work environment a little bit more toxic where people are not feeling as good. Sometimes people get upset. I don't know if that's the most professional way to conduct ourselves in the workplace. So I try to avoid that sort of thing and just get a reputation that you don't participate in that specifically. I think that'll work well for you. And I don't I I don't think if they're making specifically racist jokes or even making derogatory jokes about another person, I don't think that that's going to get you labeled as a quote unquote grumpy Negro that I would do. But still, I would just stick with the hmm, non-response. <laughs> You're not joking. You're not laughing because I've said that consistently. If they're making specifically racist jokes or racist comments about other non-white people and what have you do not laugh, do not joke. I would not crack a smile at all uh, and then just try to move things back to let's talking about the job and getting things accomplished on the job. But that would be my recommendation so that, you know, how to deal with that sort of thing in the moment uh, where you're not cursing them out or jumping up and down and not getting mad because you don't want to do that either. But you're also not laughing and making it seem like that you think this is funny uh, and I'm going along in this with you. Um, did other folks have any any comments about how to deal with that or the hair thing before we get our other uh, the caller in Virginia who wanted to give us some more information as well? Can I respond? Yes, sir. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah I, I I totally agree. You know, when I've been in those situations like that, and it it, it happens on such a common base, it happens so often that I, I just don't say anything. I just, you know, I just, I just shut up and, and I let them talk. It's, it's, it, it never gets to the point where it's, it's all right, you know. I mean, because the, the, the reformation, the, the people that I work with, I believe that they're reformed enough so they know not to take it to the point where it's like he has – he has ammunition to use against us. They don't really want to say too much, but they make little little slide comments on the on the slide. You know. So my advice my advice to the to the to the young to the young man would be, you know, just don't say anything. Don't don't respond to it. You know, just just write it down. Send yourself an email, whatever you're doing, you know, and just if, if something never does come up, you have a paper trail of things because it's not it's not just going to happen. If it happens once, it's not it's, that's not going to be the only time you're when, when it happens once. The most important thing for you to do is recognize the environment that you're working in. And to apply your actions after that to that environment. Makes sense. Makes sense. Definitely documentation. If it's something that you feel is uh, incorrect behavior for the workplace, document. How are you doing that? I think that's always uh, important, particularly if you checked your policy and procedure. And this seems like something that violates the stated policy uh, at the place that you work. Document uh, and don't respond. That I say that consistently. Someone even emailed me about that this week. Having white people, having a white person say, I think it, the comment was. Uh, the white person said, my 
my ancestors uh, fought against slavery. I just thought it was important that you should know that. That was what the white person told them. He said, how would you respond? I said, well, they made a statement. I wouldn't feel compelled to say anything. Uh, and I said, now, I could, you know, think of some replies, some responses that you could give. But again, a lot of times whites, they are just doing things to elicit a response. They're always uh, even if you want to go back, Dr. Welsing, when uh, she conceptualizes uh, talking about chess, that it's offense, defense, where they're just doing things to see if they can get you to react and do this and do that. Or if they can get you to get upset or to get angry uh, and then snickering once you get upset about it or what have you. Don't feel compelled to respond every time that they make a statement. Uh, if they didn't ask you a question, it does not require you to respond at all. And I think frequently the best response is no response at all. You don't have to do anything. That's why. Hmm. And then we move on with our day. Yes, I think that response is the is the best because you are, of course, with these white people, these racist white people. You know, if you absolutely don't say anything or make any type of noise or anything, you know, you might fracture their uh, their ego. Like, oh, this nigger is ignoring me. You know, he's not even acknowledging that I said something. But that, that mm, like, yeah, okay, I heard you, but I have nothing, to, you know, nothing else to say. I think that's perfect. Uh, can I say something about that? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Um, uh, and I just want to say, uh, my jobs. Whenever I work with Native Americans or Latinos or Asians, they always want to make negative comments about whites in my presence, and they laugh and giggle and make jokes. And and I either just walk away or I pretend like I don't hear it and I don't say anything. And I've seen other black people that laugh and said, "Can you believe what someone was saying about white folks? I can't believe he said that." And I said, I said they're, they're saying the same thing about us when they're around white folks. I said, you shouldn't even get caught up in that mess. You know, because cause usually those same ones that, you know, they're hanging around whites and, and stuff and, you know, laughing with them and, and everything. And I said, and I'm going to tell them, black people, I said, you shouldn't trust them. Treat them the same way that you treat whites. You know? So I just wanted to say that. Thank you. I definitely agree, especially if you're in a group setting and no one is directly addressing you particularly or specifically. Yeah, walk away, you know, just walk away. I can see that sort of thing being dangerous as well, because then if somebody hears that and now it's time for disciplinary action, like, oh, we cannot have racist jokes particularly if they're making jokes about whites like oh my gosh this is you know the greatest controversy in the history of this company and we can't have this uh they for sure uh somehow it's going to be the black people instigated this or you were involved or you were laughing so i would not participate in that either i would walk away like i said i would want a reputation that you know he is serious he does not do a whole lot of joking around i think that's one of the best things 
uh, that black people can do on the job. Just get that reputation that you do not participate in a whole lot of gossiping and rumors and, you know, making wise cracks and putting people down that you just do not participate in that sort of thing, uh, that we are on task. Speak to people. I'm not saying you have to be aloof. You can speak to everybody. Good morning. Good afternoon. Whatever the case may be. But uh, just not participating in a whole lot of, you know, silly, non-work related conversation uh, on the job. Get that reputation. I think that definitely is a benefit uh, for black people. Yeah, yeah, I think I'm gonna the the the, the hmm, I, I think I'm gonna practice that maybe just uh, um, in other circumstances because this was like my pretty much like my first day on the job, and there was sort of like yeah, there was a joke like this. It was just like you, you I hadn't even had time to sort of like assess the environment, so <laughs> I just want to make sure like from now on that you know. Um, even before I assess the environment, I'm always aware of what's going on, like, and have, like, good response. But, yeah, thank you to everybody that, um, yeah, that was really great advice, like, the, the documenting stuff and also uh, the dread stuff. Like, I feel like now that I've, uh, you know, I've heard from, like, other people that I can confidently, like, approach this guy. Uh, so thank you to everyone. For sure. Uh, did we miss anybody? I don't know if the call in Virginia, if you had, if it was a different uh, anecdote that you wanted to share as well, but did we miss anybody? Anybody who had a hand up who we have not heard from who had something they wanted to share? All right. I assume we got everybody. Don't wait till the last minute. If you have comments you would like to share, uh, if you have questions you'd like to ask based on anything that you've heard from any of our listeners, or if you have your own situation you would like to share, if you have policy and procedure that you have checked out, that you have something that's interesting that you would like to share, uh, feel free. The number again, 641-715-3640. And the code is 564-943-POUND. Press star six if you would like to participate. Uh, if any of the folks uh, that dialed in, everybody should have uh, everybody who has a hand up. Uh, your line should be open if you have comments you would like to share. Um, the caller in Virginia was that. Did you uh, get your your extra commentary in, or did you have something else you wanted to share as well? Uh, yes, sir. Uh, I'm not I'm not in Virginia, by the way. I'm in um, Prince George's County, Maryland. Oh, my fault. My fault. DMV area. Sorry, Maryland. Got gotcha. you. Yeah, it's, it's, it's okay. Yes. But um, I wanted to, I wanted to uh, give a salute to the parents of that that email that you read earlier. You know, of the child who was able to 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 recognize when they were being mistreated because of who they were. You know, I I, I had a similar experience. Uh, I mean, similar in the way that it was in the school system. And my child, she was uh, four years old, and she was in pre-K. And um, they were reading, and I, I, I talked to her <laughs> at four years old about race. She's six now, you know. But at four, I was explaining to her, you know, our, our, our condition and our situation. So... They were uh, about to read a Barbie book at the school, you know, I mean, in her class. And, you know, the teacher in front of all the students 
in the, in the classroom. And my daughter stood up and she said, I don't think that I should be listening to this because my daddy said that white people are evil. Now, I didn't say it to her <laughs> like that, you know, I, I, but that was the way that she put it together. You know, from what I told her about our history with people who classify themselves as white. So I had to have a parent-teacher conference, of course. <laughs> and I called Dr. Wilson. I called Dr. Wilson and I asked her, I, I explained to her what happened. And she told me to ask the teacher, how would you explain the Nazis in the story of the Jews? And I went back to the parent-teacher conference, you know, and, had, and, I, and I asked her that. I asked the teacher that before she even, you know, she asked me the question about, you know, your daughter did this. And I explained that to the teacher. I told the teacher that. And before she could get her point across, she said, I understand. And that that solidified me, the way that I was raising my daughter was the right way to let her know what what we're going through, what we're going, you know, I'm not, I didn't tell her the other today and yesterday, oh, another black man got shot and another one. But I explained to her in the context that, hey, this is everything that you do. Everywhere that you go, this is this is it's, this is here. You breathe it in. It's this is this is everything. And I, I you know, I just I just wanted to share that because I think we get a bad rap. And I don't mean to use that as a, as a as a metaphor or anything, but I think we get a bad rap as parents about how we raising our kids, and you know about about who we are and, and what we're doing. And and I know you you just on the regular you 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 stress stay in the news, stay in the papers, stay you know stay relevant about what's going on. But it's hard not to see, you know, how we're depicted at the same time when we're watching what's going on. For sure. For sure. Definitely make sure I get my salute in for Dr. Frances Cress Welsing. Just her advice uh timeless <laughs> just uh just in and just emphasizing even with that anecdote just emphasizing the just monumental loss uh this counter racist scientist dr francis cress welsing uh from this year but certainly her teachings uh immortal um certainly and and, and again the the importance of teaching 
uh, black children about racism, white supremacy, what it is, how it works. Uh, it's vital. It's life-saving uh, information. And as I said at the very beginning, you are in dereliction of your duty as an attempted black parent if you fail to do this. It's, it's required learning. Uh, since you did bring up the shooting, even that within the context of workplace racism, uh, one of our uh, listeners, he shared a report. This is from uh, Fortune, uh, Fortune magazine, uh, where they have an article. Sorry, I had a uh, interruption. Uh, so article, Fortune magazine, it's uh, why employers need to talk about the police shootings of black people. Uh, and this was just published today. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm scrolling down. Uh, so it, it's talking about the uh, more most recent incidents of police terrorism where black people were savagely killed. And this has become like reality television for the summer of 2016. So it says, now imagine a young associate watches videos of one of the shootings, shares it on Twitter, expresses fear and outrage, gets attacked by a troll, then walks into a staff meeting. Maybe she's upset, upset, even visibly shaken, says Danica J. Travis, the vice president of Women of Color Research and Center Leader, Catalyst Research Center for Corporate Practice. And she decides to sit in silence, unable to participate in the meeting because she's afraid her feelings will be dismissed. How will her colleagues or manager interpret her silence? Is she not a team player? Are aspects of her job suddenly worrisome? For example, driving to visit accounts in heavily policed neighborhoods. Things get complicated when the event is a highly charged one, like those involving systemic racism and state violence. This isn't a natural disaster where everyone is aligned right away. This is difficult stuff to process, says Allison Davis Blake, professor of business and former dean at the Ross School of Business at the University of Michigan. But a compassionate organization cultivates a sense of empathy for those who are suffering. And the first thing is for leaders to be present, talking, listening and acknowledging that something specific has happened and that some people may have concerns. Research shows that psychological safety, feeling comfortable enough to talk about difficult issues, plays a huge role in facilitating these conversations, says Travis. But it's the organization's job to define what safety really means. It's going to mean different things to different employees. Does it mean I can say whatever I want without being challenged? Now is the time to check in with managers to make sure they are prepared to handle the difficult conversations that may need to happen either one-on-one -on -one or in a team setting. This is not easy, she warns. Expect to be stretched and expect that the systems you have in place now to handle disputes, to run meetings, or to survey employees on their needs may need an upgrade. I'm going to stop there. It goes on. There's more information. Uh, it's on my Facebook page if you want to check out the whole uh, report. Uh, I would only say that my suspicion is that the vast, majumber, vast majority uh, of white employers, supervisors, managers, they are not looking to empathize with any of their Negro employers, uh, employees at all, uh, that this is not going to be implemented. Uh, I would say the vast uh, majority of work environments, unless I have missed my guess, uh, and I'm basing this just on my observation of what happened during the Trayvon Martin situation that was not that long ago, Michael Brown, 
Eric Garner. Uh, this has happened a lot uh, over the centuries of racism, white supremacy, and I have not seen any sort of compassionate workplace environment for black employees who are having difficulties uh, watching another instance of black carnage play out in the mainstream media. So I would not expect this at all. If anything, I would be prepared, and the same thing I've recommended before, I would not talk about these incidents at work. Uh, regardless of how you feel, if you're really upset about it, if you're stressed, I would make a habit, and it might, it's been my experience that whites will try again to bait you into having a conversation about this so that they can say all lives matter or black people should behave themselves. If you all would uh, be upstanding citizens and not be out here uh, disrespecting hardworking officers like Daniel Holtzclaw, we wouldn't have these problems. They're just going to try to bait you. That's been my experience to get you all riled up and upset. And then they can laugh and giggle. Oh, I got him so upset that you see. <laughs> and they can go and enjoy the rest of the day. I would not bring this up at all. And if someone asked me about it, because they might do that sometimes. Oh, what do you think about the, the shooting that happened down there in Baton Rouge? What, what do you think about all that? I haven't seen enough on it. I haven't been able to keep up with the news. I'm not informed on it. I'll have to check it out and get back to you. I wouldn't even add that last sentence because then they might be expecting a follow-up. I haven't seen enough on it. I can't comment. And leave it at that. Back to work. Uh, and if they want to comment, fine. I would listen to whatever they had to say. And hmm. But I would not offer a opinion at, uh, an opinion at all. Uh, it's been my experience that they will ask uh, on a consistent basis. Uh, has this has this been an issue for anybody within the context of uh, workplace people, white employees or people trying to ask you about these uh, shootings that have taken place this week or any of this that's come up? Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Um, absolutely. Um, I wouldn't even say this week. Uh, I'm a president of a lead share meeting and I've got three Marines, uh, nothing against the military. And then one gentleman in this group, um, that also sells ammunition for a living and the police in anything law or military related, those people or Muslims is a talking point. Um, it, there's, there's one person in the meeting that helps me get the meeting started a little quicker when those, when they start using those particular talking points, but just listening to, to you and Mr. Fuller, and reading the code book and just understanding words, I know immediately when they start talking about those people and gun rules and laws and elections, we already know that all we're going to be talking about is white supremacy. And that's become increasingly, um, it's extremely difficult not to say anything, um, but I guess you are totally accurate in saying that if you say anything, all they're trying to do is bait you into some political conversation and in in my experience, what I see is they want me to fix, they want me to say something bad about Obama. That's really the whole premise of the conversation, because eventually, shootings, police being bad, at the end of the day, it all ends up being Obama's fault all the time, constantly. It's just constant, and it's frustrating not to say anything, but to try to stay on code and just keep your cool, say things like that was interesting, and um, let's move forward with the meeting. Um, that's the best way to go about do it, doing it, particularly when you're the only non-white person in the room 99% of the time. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. All right, greetings to you guys and to all the callers and the listeners. Um, yeah, um, on my job, normally they don't discuss 
news-related events at all. Um, that's just a code that I've seen throughout the company. No matter how heinous it is, it's usually not brought up. But what I did experience was regarding the uh, the shooting at the gay nightclub became a big deal. And it wasn't a company-wide discussion. It was different clusters because there's so many um, gay people on the job where I work that it was just these little clusters of conversations. And um, I just literally just act like I didn't hear anything anyone said. I just kept focused on the screen in front of me and just did what I had to do. Um, I never indulged with any answers either. I think that's the worst thing to do. One thing that I've learned by studying the system is that white people are literally like master psychoanalysts and they, they really want to get a demographic for how you think and what your position is. And another thing I've learned is that there's nothing that they do that is not a racist white supremacist political power play on some level or another. And when they have these discussions with you, they're very, they come across as seemingly innocuous, but they're always um, shocking for an understanding of what your position is. And that way they can develop a strategy to counter that, especially if you're black, um, if you're non-white in general. But I would say if you're black, absolutely. That is something that I've really borne witness to. Um, so I definitely agree as far as I'm not discussing anything. I think, hmm, is perfect. It, it's, it's, it's not saying anything at all and acknowledging that you heard what was said. So that way it's not offensive to anyone and it's easy to transition from that back to the task at hand if there's, if there's something to be done work-related. So I think it's really a perfect code in order to, um, if you're caught in a situation that you, you kind of walked into or something that was unpredictable in that moment and you might feel pressed for an answer or you might feel uncomfortable under normal circumstances, that is something you can literally just on the spot bang, hmm, you know, well, what about so-and-so with this particular situation at the job and da 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 or this thing that we have to work on? It's very easy to transition. So I would say thanks for that <laughs> that bit of um, codification. But my, my experience on the job has just been able, just me minding my business and acting like I don't hear anything, put headphones in my head and just focus on the screen, and pretty much I'm left alone. Um, and I wanted to speak to the hair thing because, I think um, the information that was discussed on that is really, really good. Um, my my uh, experience was very different because, and I think it also varies too, or it could vary based on where you live, uh, simply because when I started working in, um, in financial services um, in the Wall Street area, and I had lots. And at that time, I really just really got seriously into the Rastafarian tradition. So I just started my locks, you know, and I had them for maybe a little over a year or something. And I went for jobs and things was, were, was really, were really intense as far as um, just my experiences. But because of that spiritual tradition, I just kind of stuck with it and eventually got a job. And I, one thing I noticed just from paying attention was that in the Wall Street area, there was probably next to nobody that I saw with locks in their hair at that time. But now it's a regular occurrence, and I've seen many, many people. So I, I think New York itself, um, at that time, you're talking like the like early, mid-'90s, I think things just transitioned in a way in which black people were expressing their, themselves as far as um, culturally by that hairstyle. And I wouldn't say it's completely accepted because you, you still find a lot of um, pushback depending on what type of company you're working, trying to work for and things like that. But ultimately, um, it has opened up in a way that I know for a fact it wasn't like that prior to when I was 
looking for work in, in, at that particular time in my life. So um, definitely I agree. I think that that codification that was provided by the, um, the brother earlier was really good. And um, I just wanted to say, too, it, someone's experience might also vary depending on where they live and um, the environment that they're in and what particular type of position that you're going for, too, can also have or play a hand in um, those sorts of things as well. And that's all I just wanted to chime in. Thank you for taking my call. Appreciate that, Roz. Appreciate that. I wanted to make sure I got in on this, the, this subject as well, if any of the the most recent shootings of black people has come up in your workplace environment. Um, social media, uh, there was a, a clip of a firefighter also in the DMV area. He's a, a black firefighter in Washington, D.C., where he posted on Facebook uh, his frustrations about the shooting. Uh, I think this was before the shooting in Minnesota, but this is pertaining to the one in uh, Baton Rouge. And he said like, something to the effect of these uh, rogue cops that are out shooting black people, you know, something should be done with them, something violent, I think he might have been said. But this became a big to-do, and he got, he got placed on uh, administrative leave, uh, and they said, you know, we have to investigate this, we have to review this to determine, you know, how we're going to proceed, the whites, you know, at the fire department. Uh, and they, uh, when they went to the media, they said, hey, this is, this is a violation of our social media policy, uh, what he posted. And uh, the media was camped out of his house. He had to do all these interviews and stuff. Uh, the moral for me, uh, again, Dr. Kamal Kamban, we just heard from a couple days ago, his recommendation was that you not be on social media at all. Uh, that was one of the questions or that was one of the suggestions that he gave in terms of black people. If you're trying to make sure that you can maintain employment, find employment, uh, because uh, I think, as uh, Ross just said, uh, whites in terms of them seeking data on black people, studying, researching, compiling as much information on their victims as possible so that they can constantly update their management and domination over non-white people. That is a part of it. Let's go and check what they got on their social media account. What are they posting? Links. What are they saying? All of that. So I would not encourage at all. If you have a social media account that's under your name and you're friends with people that you work with, oh, that is horrendous. All the way around, in my opinion, I would not post anything about anything vacation i'm upset about this shooting nothing uh if you're gonna be on social media i would want it so that it's not under my uh government name uh that people on your job know you by and what have you so that they are not going to be able to go and connect uh this account with you i would even check my social media while i was at work i certainly wouldn't check it on any workplace uh computer because you know they're going to have access to that i would be extremely cautious uh, about how you navigate with that, because I've just seen more and more instances uh, where black people are getting fired, terminated, getting having lots and lots of problems when they write on their social media accounts about these incidents. The latest incident of a black person being maimed, shot, killed by some race soldier. And then, you know, oh, we just can't have you, you know, posting this sort of thing and you're terminated. They did that uh, with the Michael Brown situation as well. Really be mindful about this. And uh, we are in a total system of racism, white supremacy. You're not going to just be able to go and write whatever you want on social media from many jobs without them having a say so about it, particularly if it's sounding like you're upset about the way black people are treated. I 
think it was a, a black female, also in the DMV area, unless my memory is bad, with uh, Eric Garner and that situation where she posted and she got all of these death threats and uh, they were trying to take her job. I think she was a 911 dispatch person and they wanted to get her fired. And I mean, it was just an avalanche of just racist assault on this black female who was just saying she was upset about black lives not meaning anything, that you can just kill us at will. And they went after her relentlessly without mercy. Uh, did anybody else have commentary on that specifically? Or Yes. Actually, mm -hmm. I did. Um, I actually got off social media back in like 2007, I believe it was, 2008. Um, and what I just find is that when you participate, like I say, there's nothing that white people create that is not to bolster the system of white supremacy. So all that social media stuff is to psychologically train the masses to utilize their products and through those products, I used to put up all kinds of postings about, you know, the, the, the FBI and CIA and all the other alphabet uh, gangs they have trolling these sites and compiling data and, and psychological profiles on people who use it, which is what prompted me to get offline in 2007. And I would say for people who still want to partake of that medium for protection, I would just create like a random Gmail account that you only use to open up your social media, have a pseudonym that no one can trace back to you. I think, I know with Facebook at one point, they would actually sometimes have uh, the ability to expose your email address. So user email does not have your name or any personal, personally, uh, personal identifying information that they can garner from it. And then from there, you can, you know, if you want to have discussions, that's fine. And it doesn't go back to you. And you can always just say, if you go for a job and they say, hey, you know, we need to get your social media. Well, I don't have social media. And leave it at that. If that's what you choose to do. I choose to stay off of it because I believe when you partake in their product, especially things like social media, I think it's one of the high, one of the highest forms of refined psychological conditioning next to the television. I think it's only second to that, and it might have trumped it by now. So that, my opinion, I agree with Gus. Um, you know, do not be on it at all. I think that's the best way to do it. But if you choose to be codified, and I think that's the best codification, so nothing gets back to you, and don't leave any personal identifying information. Also, check those sites regularly because a lot of times they do updates, and the updates can make your profile information go from private to public. Facebook used to do that all the time. They would do, you know, different updates and stuff that you privatized previously would all of a sudden be public information. And sometimes you wouldn't know about it for months down the road. So if you're looking for a job or something, you know, all of your information is exposed, all of your posts are exposed, and all of your contact and communication, and you might not even be aware. So definitely, you know, use a pseudonym, make a, a, a Gmail account or some random like Yahoo account that you only use for that purpose. You don't communicate with anybody on a private le level using that particular platform. You have your own personal email that you do for that and keep, keep it all separate. And I think that's a good way of doing it, but that's what I wanted to chime in with in relation to that. Thank you for taking my comments, guys. Can it be heard? Yes, ma'am. Um, I wanted to make a comment about that also. Um, the only reason I have a Facebook account is because that's where I get most of my real news. I don't listen or watch too much news on TV because I, I, don't, I don't believe it. I believe it's biased and it's lies. I read the newspaper only because I want to know what's going on in my community, but I, I, when I want to know what's going on around the country and other parts of the world, I usually, I usually uh, rely on my Facebook post. A lot of people think Facebook, Facebook is just silly, it's ignorant, 
but it depends on what on what sites you go to. And I have learned so much about our black history and about our, about our black culture that I did not know before from 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 Facebook postings. And um, something else I wanted to mention about Facebook. Uh, this uh, this is about um, my daughter on her job. She was uh, friends with a co. She was Facebook friends with a coworker. And um, I had told her before. I said. Well, when when I was working, I didn't I I didn't have a Facebook site because I didn't want to deal with that mess. Uh, but she had a friend on Facebook that she worked with, and she said, you know that she she you know that they would just you know uh, exchange pictures, you know, of dogs and cats and them cuddling and you know stuff like that, and say you know you know just little silly things and stuff. And so my daughter, I, I don't I can't remember why, but she said she just. She just unfriended that woman for some reason. She said, she, "Well, she said she unfriended her because they work together sometimes." The woman, she's real fat, she's white, and she's and she's real lazy, and she doesn't do her job. So my daughter said she was she was tired of that, so she just unfriended her. And she said, and the white woman just went ballistic, and she said she's been sending her all these evil texts, cursing at her. She said she said it's been nothing racist. But I told my daughter, I said it is racist. I said this woman. She told me the woman is real fat and nobody likes her. Nobody wants to work with her because she's very, very lazy. When a patient needs to be taken care of, she won't get up. Uh, uh, only time she'll get up is when she goes to the refrigerator to get something to eat. And I said, I said she feels like you have the gall to unfriend her, and you're just a nigger, and you unfriended her. How dare you? I said that is exactly what she's feeling right now. I said, that's why she's mad at you. My daughter called me the other night, and she was really crying because women sent her a lengthy text message uh, saying, this is bullshit. How dare you do this to me and all that? And she says, the second text she sent, she sent her, I told my daughter to talk to, her, talk to her supervisor, and then we could get together and talk about it, and I could give her some more uh, tips if, if, she need to be, if she needs to. But um, she talked to her supervisor, but I haven't had a chance to talk to her talk to her because she she, she, she she's been, been with her boyfriend um for the last two or three days but uh when I get a chance to talk to her I'm gonna ask her. I'm I'm pretty sure everything will be is okay because usually when she's really, really upset about something she always comes to me and we always sit down and and, and, and have a good you know, a good heart to heart talk and everything and, and she said um a lot of people have told her they don't they don't have Facebook friends of people that that they work with, and I said my Facebook friends are people I don't even know. I said we I just it's just other black people that we have a uh, a common ideology and we just reach out to each other, and um, and uh, she said that that's a good idea, and uh, I told her I said if I was you you know working and everything I would just get rid of my Facebook page altogether. But she's learned a lot about. Black history too, because she learned about the cows and Mr. Fuller and Dr. Francis Crestwell. She didn't know about any of them, you know, until she, you know, started going on Facebook and stuff. And that's all I want to say. Thank you for taking my call. The tackiness abounds. That's what, and that sort of thing can be uh, gold uh, if why any race soldier has the audacity to send any sort of. Uh, written commentary 
uh, where they're talking, how dare you this, and cursing that, and blah, 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 and this is someone that you work with, like, oh, buddy, I would save all of that uh, in terms of talking about a uh, toxic work environment, and it's the same thing with documentation, even if you don't use it right now, even if you don't use it two, three weeks from now, that can be the sort of thing that becomes a part uh, of documentation, uh, evidence of mistreatment, and as I said, a toxic work environment that you've been subjected to for a long time, uh, where you've having, you're having coworkers who are sending these types of messages and talking to you in this sort of manner. Save, capture, make sure you put that in your file uh, in terms of data that you keep on that particular work environment, whatever she said, if it was a text message or email or, you know, however she uh, made the correspondence. Um, also want to make sure, uh, again, uh, I will make sure people are not waiting until the last minute. If you think you have a comment that you want to share uh, before we wrap up, we have less than 30 minutes, so you should go ahead and get your hand up now uh, if it's something that you think you would like to share. I did want to make sure I got in also... Um, uh, attire, wardrobe, what people are wearing comes up uh, in the work situation a lot. And I know I've seen uh, on a personal level, uh, in terms of unwanted attention, wardrobe can be huge uh, in terms of we got to check out what this person is wearing today. And that's males and females uh, where I've seen this. Oh, this person got, you know, new uh, new earrings or this person got a new jacket or did you see what she had on today or did you see what he had on? Or, oh, look at the suit or look at the new shirt. Blah, blah, blah. All of that. Uh, I don't know if people saw the movie The Fly with uh, Jeff Goldblum. Uh, it's kind of older, came out a while ago. But he was a scientist, a white scientist, who, of course, he ended up doing a whole lot of deviant things. But in the meantime, a uh, small little note in the film, they show his closet, and you look at what his daily attire is, and it was the exact same thing. Like, he had six, seven shirts. They were all exactly the same shirt. He had about five or six pair of pants. They were all exactly the same pair of pants. Uh, and they were like, why do you just wear the same thing every day? He said, that's one less thing I have to think about. It's not, you know, a 30-minute uh, thought process about, oh, man, what am I going to wear? Do I wear this? Do I wear that? I just, bam, it's all clean. I just go take it all to the dryer so it's all clean, and bam, I just get up. I already know what I'm going to wear, so that's one less thing that I have to think about uh, in my day. I appreciate that aspect of it in terms of conserving time and energy so you're not investing a whole lot uh, in terms of your uh, brain computer having to process, well, what am I going to wear to look cute tomorrow? Uh, but also, it's been my experience for black people, that ends up being so much of a distraction on the job. And I will say it again for emphasis for males and females uh, in terms of what did you have on? or Oh, look at that new outfit or look at this or, oh, look at that color and... I would move all of that to the side. I'm going to be wearing the same thing. I would have five, seven different sets of the exact same thing, same color, everything. So you just wash it all together, boop, and you just wear the same thing every day. And then if anybody says, hey, man, you just are wearing the same shirt or the same slacks every day. No, I have six of the same one. Uh, so we can put that to rest. You can put a little mark on the shirt, and then when you come in tomorrow, the mark's not there. New shirt, no, I just have six of the same one. I just do not have uh, an extensive wardrobe. <laughs> I'm not here to look flashy for any of you all. I was not, unless you are a model, uh, unless fashion is a part of what you're doing, you're selling clothes, unless that's a part of your job. Uh, we're not on the one-way uh, runway. 
Uh, I am not an aspiring designer. Uh, I'm just here to get work done, and I'm not looking for, you don't have to tell them this, this, but a major underlying part of this, I'm not looking for any unwanted attention. I'm standing out because I got new slacks or a new coat or a new watch or anything like that. That would be a recommendation that I myself would be utilizing uh, if I was in any sort of work setting like that, particularly if I was around uh, a significant number of whites. Even if it was a lot of black people, I would still have that in place just so that there's no conversation at all. We already know what he's going to be wearing tomorrow and for the next five months we know what Gus is going to be wearing, so that's nothing to talk about there. You know, I think that's actually brilliant, and I remember the fly. Um, that was something that stood out to me, too. I think that was actually great. Um, I've even seen it, seen it where um, black people in particular, they'll get, like, a new car, and that new car will be, like, the beginning of their end because their boss thinks, oh, okay, well, we must be paying him too much if he's able to drive a car that's better than mine, and I'm his boss. So, I mean, everything. They look at everything. So even when you talk about not bringing personal items to work, not having things on your desk. All of that should be part of your codification. I think that's a brilliant form of codification, too. Um, just having, you know, six items, six sets of the same thing, I think that's great. Um, I try to keep it simple, not flashy at all. So I, I hear you. I think it makes perfect sense. <laughs> and I think that's a brilliant ex um, example of that, um, the, the fly movie. Thank you very much. Yes, sir. Hey, as for the social media, you know, sometimes I try to go to your your Facebook to see if you have a show, see what you posted, and a prompt will come up where I have to put in like some type of, I have to decrypt some type of, you know, you, you know, it'll be like some words getting funny, and you gotta kind of write out what they say. Um, before I could enter, and I, I think that's the act of racism sometimes, because most times I go and I can just see the comments or, you know, see whatever you posted, but it's just certain times um, I have to sit there and try to figure out, you know, what, what's, what, what phrase, you know, there is or something like that. Hmm. That is peculiar. I, uh, I know I've been, I go to other people's Facebook pages to comments or just to see what they have, you know, posted or what have you. And, uh, that I'm rarely prompted where I have to, you know, enter some sort of, uh, capture or what have you, uh, some sort of garbled phrase or some letters or what have you to get, to get, just to get access to the page. That is extremely peculiar, but again, it wouldn't surprise me. It's there all of the social media. We did not invent, create any of this stuff. Whites put it there for their use. So it would not surprise me uh, if that is a part of uh, how they are doing the racism, white supremacy. And I think, as Ross said, I've seen a lot of those reports over the years, not just one or two, but many, many reports talking about how the CIA and FBI and all of the enforcement agencies, they spend a lot of time uh, going through and compiling data and information uh, from those social media sites. So wouldn't surprise me at all. Oh, yeah. You speaking about um, technology, I just wanted to chime in with something. Um, my son and I were discussing, there was a, like an article they had on Mark Zuckerberg, and somebody posted on Facebook, funny enough, a, a picture that they had from this article talking about cybersecurity because in the background, this was taken in Mark Zuckerberg's, um, one of his homes somewhere, I guess, on the West Coast. And in the background, you could see on his computer that he had a piece of tape covering his camera on his computer. 
And the person said, well, even Mark Zuckerberg understands, you know, cybersecurity. And he highlighted the fact that he had the piece of, um, like, cloudy masking tape on the camera. And that's something that my family and I have been doing for years. Um, all of the cameras on our cell phones, we put, um, like, the cloudy scotch tape on it so that if the camera gets turned on, because a lot of people don't know your cell phone cameras can be turned on remotely. Um, I was talking to uh, Dr. Will Hawkins, and he was talking about how if your computer's plugged in, that there's actually modems on the electrical grid itself, so actually you don't really need modems, technically speaking, and that they can turn your computer on and your microphones on in your home as long as your computers are plugged in. So I just wanted to put that information out there. Um, I just put uh, tape on all of the cameras on our cell phones, the camera that comes, if you have a, 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 a PC or a laptop that has a, a camera on it, you want to put a piece of tape on that because if they turn it on remotely, whatever room that, that our device is in, they'll be able to see what's, whatever's going on or who's in the background or whatever, whatever the case may be. Um, I remember there were even instances where young children, elementary school-age children, were given computers by their schools and the school was actually turning on their cameras remotely, and there was a teacher that was caught doing that and got reprimanded because he was turning on the students' cameras while they were at home, and they were not aware that their cameras were on, catching all of this, all of their personal activity in whatever room that computer was in. I just wanted to throw that out there as well. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. Uh, we have uh, our last few minutes uh, in the broadcast. Folks have anything else they wanted to make sure uh, they got in? Our caller uh, DMV area is lighting it up. Lots of love in the DMV area this evening. Uh, one Can seven. I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Oh, sorry. This is um, the caller from D.C. I just wanted to, um, my apologies for calling so late in the program, but I wanted to give a couple of updates or an update and um, just uh, talk about what I kind of consider to be a success. Um, the first thing is an update. I've called previously about uh, the hugger at my job, and uh, she actually probably about two weeks ago, she put in her notice. So this is this was the first week that she has not been on the job any longer. Of course, she couldn't leave without completely harassing me for that last week and a half or so that she was there. But um, I was just thrilled to see her go. So she is no longer on the job. So I'm hoping that things, um, you know, go back to quote unquote normal, I guess. Um, The other thing was, even though this isn't quite workplace, it's in regard to um, my son's uh, sort of education. We, uh, uh, we've been trying to, he goes typically to uh, a predominantly uh, black school during the school year. And uh, now in the summer, he's attending a camp that is predominantly white. So we started talking to him about having a code and codification. He's six years old. He just turned six. And um, we told him that when he, you know, starts camp, that it's going to be a little bit different than what he's used to and that he needs to stay codified. And that's kind of how we labeled it. And we kind of expressed to him what his code is. Of course, it's, it's uh, geared to his age range and, you know, things like keeping your hands to yourself and being respectful and things of that nature, not too much into um, white supremacy and things of that nature, but, you know, just keeping it as to what we think he can realistically grasp and sort of deal with. But one of the big things was asking questions 
and uh, we went to every his camp goes week by week, and so we went to his his last day of one week of the camp, and we were talking to one of his instructors, and she said um, we introduced ourselves as as his parents, and uh, she told us, oh, you're you know so and so's parents, and we said yes, and she's like he asks a lot of questions, and I was like excellent. That's exactly what we want. And so, you know, when he comes home, he's like, mommy, I stayed codified. And I was like, perfect. That's exactly what I want to hear. So we're trying to start the process with him and really, you know, expose him to more and more. He hears us listening to the cows all the time. And, you know, when his dad and I are talking, he comes outside and he'll say, what are you guys talking about? Is it white supremacy? You know, and things of that nature. So anyway, I just wanted to share that with the group. Awesome. Absolutely awesome. A plus uh, counter racist parenting, getting asking questions. That's one of the best things that you can do. Uh, Point that out certainly in the job situation, just anywhere, just asking questions, asking questions. Nobody should ever have a problem uh, with questions being asked. It anybody has a problem with questions being asked like, whoa, uh, this person likely does not have your best interest at heart. Uh, you just trying to get information, uh, constructive information by asking a question. And if there's something incorrect about that, like, whoa, <laughs> it's time to step back and reassess uh, who this person is and why they have a problem with you getting information. But uh, certainly I think the hugger, we, that is calls for uh, applause in and of itself, because I know we've talked about that uh, here on the program for a long period of time. Uh, this person, uh, likely race soldier, uh, and her deviant acts of the hugging, and then even more recently, I think, where she was trying, in my view, trying to uh, sabotage you, getting you to uh, fill out this, an act of fraud, basically, uh, filling out this uh, invoice uh, for an order that hadn't been, been delivered yet. So that is good riddance to uh, racist rubbish. Glad she's out of there. Hopefully they won't replace her with uh, another racist uh, to come in with some new antics. But you even said that she did some some uh, more hijinks on her way out uh, before she uh, called it a career there. She did. Yeah. <laughs> she did, yes. Um, she actually, she was already gone. And that weekend, I think, I don't know why she was even emailing me on the weekend, but I, I get my emails to, um, uh, to a, a phone that we have. And, uh, she wanted updates on this contract that she had wanted me to, um, uh, you know, to fraudulently say that had been paid. So she wanted updates even after her, after her departure. Um, I just ignored them. There's absolutely no reason for you to have any information about a place that you're no longer employed. So. A plus a plus stated that again, sometimes no response is the best response. And clearly if you're no longer employed here, then this has nothing to do with you. So moving it, delete, or I wouldn't even delete. I would just save that just in case, but Moving forward to a uh, new task that is outstanding. Uh, again, hopefully they won't replace her with uh, another race soldier to come in and, and start up some new uh, terrorist acts. But that is outstanding on the workplace. Got rid of one and outstanding effort with the uh, offspring as well. Getting him to ask some questions and developing his counter racist code at a young age. And that that has come up several times just during the course of this broadcast alone. So a plus, uh, I'm sure he'll have some uh, interesting uh, observations maybe to share uh, throughout his camp experience over the summer, uh, summer weeks here. They had um, a similar, um, my daughter went away at camp 
Um, she went up to Cornell University. Um, it was a camp that they only chose eight kids from her school to attend, and she had to do community service and write an essay and all the stuff to get in. And um, she got there the first day. She called home, and then, of course, um, you know, uh, she asked to speak to me. And I'm like, hey, how's the kid? And she said, these people here are racist. You know, and she went into how um, segregated and things, things are, and, um, you know, um, just how the white girls um, have clicked together, and they're not talking to her. Um, they're not talking to her, any of the black kids from the city and how they kind of, you know, they're staying in the home to stay away from the white kids because they feel like they're practicing racism. And I told her that's very good. Stay away from them as much as you can. And um, I was, you know, very, very shocked because my daughter is um, usually one of the biggest proponents to my racial theories or she opponents to it. Um, you know, she loves beavers, you know, into the Kardashians, so, you know, she doesn't see it, but obviously stuff I've been pointing out to her, she's been uh, making some very good observations every time I speak to her, you know, and, and with my conversation with her, it's always about racism, which is good, which is what yeah, I like it. And um, just to offer tidbit, which is, um, I'm, I'm kind of listening to the show, of course, but I'm, I'm watching the news and the kids that two officers were shot in Dallas, Texas, um, at a protest, and I see some black people laying on the ground looking like they were shot, too. Um, I'm, I'm, of course, I'm not hearing. I'm just reading um, what was going to court, but one cop was taken to the hospital, and another one is being, it looks like, hell hostage in a restaurant, maybe, or something. But um, I, I'm, you know, just looking and reading what they're putting up on the television. That is going to be massive. I obviously haven't checked it as well because we're doing the program, so I'm not watching television or what have you. But uh, the report that I just looked at after Thomas in New York mentioned it, multiple officers shot at Black Lives Matter protest in Dallas. That is buku votes for President-elect Donald Trump. I was about to say that. <laughs> so I said, I said we're one, one black light, you know, he's a packing bag for Washington. You know, this commentary about the lazy, shape-flipping niggas out rioting that should have been at a job. Absolutely. Absolutely. You can... Just go ahead and chalk that up. I wish I had been uh, saying that in advance either if there was any riot or protest because that's always predictable that you're going to have some black people shot and killed, uh, particularly in the summertime. This is, you know, it wouldn't be summertime without watermelon and black people getting shot in the street by police. But, uh, yeah, this is Donald Trump is going to have uh, great ratings uh, for this and uh, nothing that I have seen thus far deviation from what I said, what Dr. Welsing said last year. Uh, next president, president elect. That's just the way I'll be saying it from here on out until uh, he wins or until shows that I'm incorrect. President elect Donald Trump. But yes, yeah, certainly there'll be lots and lots of commentary on this. And this would be another one when it comes up in the workplace. Oh, I didn't really get to see too much about that. I didn't see too much about that. I don't have any comment. Keeping it moving. If they want to respond, if they have comments about this, and it would not surprise me if some enforcement officials, uh, multiple enforcement officers were shot. Uh, hey, whatever you want to say. Mm-hmm. Or as. Mm, mm. And we continue with our workday. Uh, any 
final comments before we uh, get ready to wrap things up? Any questions, observations, anything folks want to share before we uh, finish it up today? Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, yes, I had a, a few more observations. Um, uh, the first is, I guess, is kind of speaking on the uh, behavior pattern or tendency um, of uh, white people sometimes. I guess you can mark it under courtesy because they will, uh, I guess, kind of notice a, a part of my character where I'll just speak to people just in general, white and non-white, and it, and it seems to be constructive, but like I notice like when things like this happens, uh, like in the news, the day after it really hits the, uh, the news or whatever, like I, I kind of notice sometimes it's either done in two patterns where uh, like the bailiffs, like the sheriffs, I guess they hang out there and talk to the employees. Like they'll speak to me on initiative. Um, like if I'm standing <laughs> like in front of the elevator or something and there will be perhaps two to three other uh, black people around and they will speak to me in a way like, you know, like, hey, you know, I know this black person, almost like I'm being tokenized, if that make any sense. Um, like if I'm, you know, going into a door or something, you know, they'll say, hey, how's it going or something. Like almost trying to, you know, go out of their way to speak, you know what I mean? So, you know, I'll be courteous. I'll say, you know, I'll say, hey, back, you know, going about my business. But it's it's either like they're trying to do that to, uh, you know, like how it was uh, discussed earlier, like, you know, they have you under surveillance, you know, trying to watch you, even though you don't have on a Malcolm X shirt, you know, it still got you, um, you know, under uh, close observation just by something like just speaking, you know, and it, it comes off as being courteous, but I just have a uh, suspicion that it's something else underlying it you know and um that that was a, another uh thing that i heard um my mom works at the other building and the the guy that is the son of the uh clerk that's retiring you know the powerful white person apparently they was having a pizza party i think it was two weeks ago and i guess they thought he had it you know already um he had it already, uh, I guess, he already had been picked to be a new coming in clerk. So this is the son, you know, it's already been passed down to him. So they having all of this pizza and things like that. And I guess somebody at the last minute wrote in their name to run against this person. I guess it's another white person. So, uh, like, she told me that this guy said, well, you know, I thought I had it. You know, I thought I had it like it's supposed to be an election process. And apparently his dad, you know, being a serious, uh, he retired, I guess, a couple of days before, um, I guess, the day where a new election is starting, like his term ends. Like, they're, you know, very strategic. So nobody else would put in their name to uh, run against them and already have it for his son 
with, with the same last name, same mannerisms, everything. Like, I mean, master to the T, you know, so I guess this dude thought he had the uh, election one, you know, running on the polls. So just like the connections, you know, the networking once again. And um, I had something else, but I can't really remember. Oh, it was um, it was a marriage ceremony. Because sometimes I'll be like a witness if they don't have any other person. Because they need at least two witnesses for uh, a couple to get married, to get that marriage license. And it was a, unfortunately, it was a white male and a non-white female. So, you know, I guess they're about to uh, get married. So they were talking to me. And the female, you know, she <laughs> she was saying that, you know, her family was way in Hawaii. And I was like, so where, where do you plan to have the, you know, the next ceremony, I guess. Are you going to have another ceremony? And she says, you know, bring up Virginia again, that she had family in Virginia. And the significance of this is that his family, I guess, uh, numerically is smaller in amount than hers is. So she was saying that they were going to pay for his family to be flown out to Hawaii. You know, like, just, you know, but looking at the two of them, they both look to be, uh, I guess, like, they might be uh, financially stable, but him being a white person, it's like, hey, you know, he got to be more connected with the money than she is, but she was saying that they were going to pay for him to fly his family out for, the, uh, I guess, big-time ceremony over in Hawaii, so that was very interesting, but they were both very courteous. But, you know, obviously a tragic arrangement, you know, uneven power dynamic. And uh, that's that's it. Wow. Wow. That uh, the first, uh, I guess the first commentary about uh, even not even glossing over the second one where the person, the white person waited until the last minute to get their name on the ballot. That sort of uh, conniving, manipulating type of thing. Uh, does not because they I'm sure whites have that sort of information that they share and keep quiet when the deadline is when's the last possible moment that you can sign on that sort of thing so they can get any sort of advantage that just to me sounds very much like the the manipulative uh, scientific racist that's the way that we should be thinking of whites anyway but the first one where you were saying that the uh, I guess the bailiffs or whatever they are uh, that are coming up and, and seeing like they're trying to be nice. Like, oh, we're going to be nice to the little colored worker and, you know, we'll find something to bring up and, and talk to him. I suspect quite a few folks can, I know I can, uh, can relate to that when they've been in a workplace situation where they are, these are whites that you've got to be around uh, on the job. Uh, and so they, you know, make it seem like they just got to come up with some reason to to talk to you or something to bring up uh, when you're going to be in their presence for, you know, a brief period of time. I mean, it's like, oh, yeah, this is this is our good old buddy, you know, old, old colored Bob here. Yes, we, we just love him. And typically it'll be some nonsense about sports or, you know, whatever, other, whatever the other silliness is uh, that they bring up. That's just trivia. We're not going to talk to any, talk about uh, anything too meaningful because uh, this is just a colored. But just to give the impression to make it seem like, yes, we really care about this black person and we want to hear what they have to say. I have bumped into that quite a few times. I recognize it a lot more now that I'm less confused about racism. I suspect quite a few of our listeners uh, can unfortunately relate to that as well.
I wanted to speak to um, what he, the previous caller was talking about as far as the so-called mixed-race couple. The fact that her family is going to pay for him and his family to fly out to Hawaii. And it really um, just made me think about how whenever white people marry non-white people, it always ends up that the non-white person ends up taking care of the white person. And I think a, a really good example of that was um, J.A. Rogers. He married a white woman named Helga Rogers, and he died a, a while ago now. Um, God bless him as an ancestor. And to this day, she sells his books, and all of the money that is made off of those books go to her. And she remarried a white man, and they both basically have absorbed all of that money that his black relatives could have been um, could have had access to and maybe could have helped them as far as um, build up their family wealth that they could potentially pass on. So it seems to me like all of this pain for her, for him, for his relatives to fly out there is almost like a, a dowry or something, um, even though it's not labeled that. But that's basically when, in certain cultures, when people get married, they spend a certain amount of money or offer certain gifts um, of, a, of a certain um, amount, worth a certain amount, in order to draw in and to pay their respects to the person that they're marrying. So it just, I just wanted to chime in with that because that just seemed very, very interesting. Thank you. White lives matter. White lives matter. That is crazy all the way around. I've never heard of that where the, uh, the bride's family is doling. I thought it would be the, the groom's family would be absorbing, you know, they're going to be some extra expense. I'm not married. So, you know, I'm certainly not an expert uh, on all the, cultural practices around uh, getting married and what have you. But I thought it was generally the groom that would be assuming a lot of the, uh, the group or the groom's family, I would say, that would be assuming a lot of the financial uh, costs associated with the wedding and got the non-white bride's family that are paying for them to come up. White lives matter. I guess that's all I can say. You get married to a non-white person and you get their family to pay for you to get a vacation in Hawaii. That is... <laughs> Awesome all the way around. Doesn't work out any better, man. Uh, I think in white, in white um, tradition, though, the white, the bride's family always pays. The bride's family pays? You said that's the the tradition? Yeah, that's always been the tradition. As far as, you know, all the television shows always made it, you know, the, the woman pays. Her family and her father has to dole out the money. Uh-huh. Even when the white guy has a lot of daughters, he'll be like, oh, man, when they get married, it's going to cost you, you know, because he has to pay for all those weddings. Uh, I see. I see. Hmm. I was going to say you're right because in in um, traditional non-white cultures, it's the other way around. It's the male who gives a dowry to the family of the female. Um, in white culture, and that's basically the Iceman inheritance, the prominence of patriarchy, and the white male being the most important aspect as far as the way that they look culturally at things. It's always the man that's put first. So um, I was going to say Thomas is absolutely right. The reverse is true. It's the white female's family who usually shells out and doles out the vast majority of money that's for the marriage and things of that nature. Um, and it's, as from what I've seen in my studies, it's always been the white culture that is that way. In, in traditional non-white cultures, it's normally the opposite way. <sighs> white people always win. Very sad. Very sad. Anywho, tragic. Tragic. Uh, that will do it for this week's Workplace Racism. Uh, I will again encourage, uh, if you know, you cannot. We still have a lot of spectators, which is generally the case for the programs that are not designed as spectator broadcasts. Uh, people just hang out and listen. Uh, for Workplace Racism, there should be lots more folks who are having troubles 
on the job and or, as I always say, if you have figured out things that work uh, to minimize these problems uh, so that you're not having issues, uh, you know, write ups, that sort of thing. None of that for you. You get in your promotions, you get in your raises uh, on time and moving right up the ladder at your particular uh, corporation. Or if you are self-employed, as they say, you should definitely be one of the first people to dial in so that you have suggestions on recommendations, things we can be doing to solve some of these problems and, you know, be uh, just maximizing our careers and, and just having a grand old time. Uh, but that is next week. If it's something where you're not able to call in live again, you can feel free to drop an email and uh, we will read. Uh, we can keep it anonymous if you have concerns about that. But feel free if you want to drop an email if you're having problems on the job or just observations in general that you've seen. And again, encourage folks to check your policy and procedure. It's super important. If anything stands out that you think is uh, is interesting or if it's particular rules that are not being enforced uniformly on the job, uh, just anything of that nature or uh, uh, specific attention to the wording that is used with some of the policies, definitely make note and uh, make sure to share that as we proceed. But we'll be back next week, same time. Uh, so we'll be here tomorrow. Final session, medical apartheid. All the people who uh, responded live and via email said that they were cool with us going ahead and just doing the extra like half hour tomorrow and finishing the book. So we will finish Harriet A. Washington's medical apartheid. Uh, and just to make sure people do not think I'm trying to just wrap this up, uh, it has easily been one of the best books that I have ever read. It is phenomenal. I just have immense uh, respect for the scholarship that she put into uh, this volume. Uh, and it has really been uh, a pleasure to read it uh, with uh, Cal's listeners. Uh, but it's just I don't like having a session that's going to be really short, which is what it would be if we did the normal time tomorrow. And we would just have a very, very short segment uh, next Friday. So to avoid that, we will just wrap things up tomorrow. Uh, chapter 15, that's where we be uh, where we will be picking up at for tomorrow's broadcast, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Uh, and then obviously we'll have the compensatory call in. Uh, on Saturday, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. We will have uh, the guest that we missed last week, Afua Cooper. She's a black female professor uh, up in Nova Scotia, Canada. Uh, the Hanging of Angelique. This is a black female uh, counter-racist soldier who ended up burning up a lot of property in Montreal in her efforts to escape being enslaved by whites in Canada. Uh, they ended up uh, capturing her, convicting her, torturing her, and killing her. Uh, this happened uh, in the 18th century in Canada. Uh, Ms. Cooper, she'll be on the program uh, this coming Tuesday, normal time, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. I'm thoroughly uh, enjoying the book. Uh, we do have a good number of listeners who are north of the border in Canada, so they can be prepped uh, for Ms. Cooper, Professor Cooper's visit uh, next Tuesday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Uh, if you check out what's happening in Dallas, I'll check that out as well. If you find me cool information, feel free to share. I'll post the article that I saw that... Uh, Again, labeled multiple officers shot at Black Lives Matter protest in Dallas who raved for Donald Trump on that one. Uh, thanks to all the folks who dialed in. I hope it's been a constructive investment of your Thursday evening. Uh, again, sobriety would be best under conditions of white terrorism. We do not want to make race soldiers, whites in general, their job any easier than it already is. Uh, if you're going to be out and about, I know it's summertime and people are frolicking and all that. Uh, you do not want to lax in your codification. If you're in a vehicle, that's driver, passenger. Even if you're a pedestrian, you do not want to be under the influence. You never know when it will be Daniel Holtzclaw, Darren Wilson, any of these other race soldiers that pulls up behind you. What we've been watching this week, 
that could be you easily you being under the influence it just makes those situations much more likely and much easier to justify not that they need any help but it's certainly not going to make your situation any easier to manage if you cannot think clearly and make phenomenal decisions to keep yourself safe as safe as possible on anybody that you might be responsible for who is with you also buckle up every time you are in the vehicle uh, let's try to do everything that we possibly can to minimize contact with race soldiers Again, two of the worst comp or one of the worst combinations in the universe, whites and alcohol. Mm. With that, uh, creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time. Replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Cows signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, Your brother. Problem. You're a victim. I'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm -hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.